Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you by the new Squarespace. Squarespace introduces a new content management system, making it faster and easier to create a high-quality website or blog. Plus, they now offer mobile responsive designs with automatic device scaling and more than 50 other new features. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase on new accounts, just head over to squarespace.com slash twip and use the offer code twip1. This week on Twip, Instagram's snafu, CES expectations, photography and publishing in 2013, and an interview with Mr. Scott Bourne. It's Wednesday, January 2nd, 2013, and this is Twip. All right. Happy New Year and welcome back to TWIP. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Here's what's on tap for this first episode of 2013. We're going to be talking about Instagram's snafu, which some of you may have got caught up in there. Hopefully some of you still have your Instagram account. We're going to be talking about <laughs> the, group's, the group's expectations for CES, uh, photography and publishing in 2013. And for the folks that are going to be listening to this on the podcast, we're doing a Google Plus Hangout right now. But for the po- folks that listen to this on the podcast later, I had a great conversation with Mr. Scott Bourne, the godfather of TWIP, and he had some pretty interesting things to say about Instagram as well. Probably not what you think he would say. So all that is coming up on this episode. Joining me to discuss these topics are Mr. Doug Kay, Ms. Valerie Jardin, and Mr. Martin Bailey. Hey, guys. Hey, Hello. Frederick. Hello. Happy New Year. Happy, Happy New, New Year. Year. Happy New Year. This it's as a one. As we record this, is January 2nd, 2013. This um, is the um, first TWIP of the year. Unless you're Martin and Martin's back home, then it's January 3rd. It's January yep. 3rd. That's right. It's that whole circular round earth thing. <laughs> so so speaking of you, Martin, you haven't been on forever. What's what's going on in the world of Martin Bailey? Oh, I've been uh, I've been on a ship down to Antarctica for six weeks, a total of seven weeks of traveling. Uh, but did three expeditions back to back. Started in South Georgia, then went to the peninsula three times, uh, and it was just amazing. And especially, like you know, uh, if anyone knows about these trips down to Antarctica, you've got the Drake Passage, and what it meant was we we actually went across the Drake back into Ushuaia at the the southern tip of um, Argentina, and then turned around, picked up passengers, turned around, and went back. So I was fortunate enough to have six days on the drake so if any if anyone that goes down there that knows about the drake passage is thinking <laughs> oh my god then you, you must have a you have a strong stomach don't you <laughs> i was gonna say did you did you were you okay the entire time martin i i was i uh, i actually figured out i i've been using the patches behind the ear the scopolamine things um and i figured out that they were making me worse than the than the seasickness i got some different medication and i was actually pretty good so uh, and that was that was good because obviously I was working. I was the like the photographer on board who was helping people with their photography. Yeah. And the, one of my jobs is, as well is to compile a slideshow of all of the passengers' photos. And so it means on the Drake on the way back into Ushuaia, I had to be. Re- I was really busy, so I can't be like you know hanging my head over the 
over the side of the ship all afternoon. So, <laughs> I would have been. I would have yeah. been. I've been there. <laughs> oh, there, there was some people. Obviously, every every time I go down there, there's always a few people that that end up um, feeling it, and it's it's not good. You know, those people aren't in pleasant places when they're when they're like that. When uh, it's all worth it. Did you post any images from that yet? When when can we see some of those? Yeah, I posted a couple of weeks ago after the second voyage I posted about 18 shots on Google Plus and because I've been out literally out of uh, off the air for a, a couple of months they're still relatively close to the top of my profile. Um but I'm just looking through the rest of the images now and I'm hoping to post something over the next few days. Um and I'm I've, of course I've been my own podcast I've been um basically off the air with that as well so i'm going to try and do a best 10 for 2012 uh over the next day or so as well so i'm i'm, I'm back now it's, it feels good to be actually back on the connected world yeah i bet i bet well welcome back and welcome back to the show appreciate you taking the time what time is it in japan right now martin it's 11 o'clock on january 3rd 11 a.m january 3rd okay it's not too bad all right, Valerie, welcome back to the show. What, what Thank you. What's going on in your world of travels? Uh, well, I've been put for a couple months now and shooting mostly interiors, commercial and residential, and now really excited about the 2013 workshops coming up. Um, I have um, the next one is in March. That's San Diego for a couple days. It's a weekend workshop. There's still about three spots available. And then um, France again in May with a Paris workshop for a week, followed by a new photo adventure this year, which is in Normandy, which is mm. where I grew up. And uh, I'm really excited about that. It's a photographer's dream. Uh, seascapes, landscapes, stunning architecture, um, beautiful quaint villages, amazing food, um, and then lots of history from the castle of William the Conqueror to World War II landing area. So it's a, a week filled with um, something different every day. And so uh, this is this is exciting. I'm running this workshop in May and in October again. So Very cool. And we'll link to all that stuff in the in the yes. blog post. And you. you can post this in our new Google Plus community now, can't That's you? That's right. I should. Yeah. And uh, Doug K., you're over there. I see you down there at the bottom of the window. Um, I remember a couple of months ago you threatening to divorce your Nikon D800E. And I'm looking here, I'm looking here in the notes. You guys have reconciled? <laughs> What's going we on? Have, we have. We have. It's, uh, if I was threatening to get rid of the 800E and buy a 600 instead, so I just have both now. I, that's how I solved the problem. No. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm not to make any references. The, the 800E and I have a love-hate relationship, and as long as I keep it on a tripod, we're, we're a happy couple. Very cool. Yeah, and and focus, focus manually. Focus manually, and we're doing very well together. Cool. So what are you doing? I, I'm reading the notes. Are you doing some research about writing a lab, uh, about the lab color space and all that? What's I, that about? I, I had to read the notes, too. I couldn't remember what I've been doing. Uh, <laughs> I've been doing, there. doing just a lot of work with LAB Color. It's just fascinating. I'm, I'm hooked on the technology. Uh, I've been writing some blog posts about it. I've uh, been leading a lot of photo walks, which I've decided is the same thing as leading a workshop, except you don't get paid. <laughs> and... <laughs> and um, and I'm going to Cuba in a couple of weeks, wow. and uh, that's you going, about you, it. You're not going to Cuba with Silarina, are you? No, no. Okay. I'm going. Uh, I'm going as a as a workshop participant, not a workshop leader. Mm. And uh, I'm going with a group called Santa Fe Workshops. It's a it's a licensed U.S. trip through Miami instead of the backdoor route. Very cool. Uh, right. Looking forward to it. I should have I should have pictures when I get back. 
Nice. Cool. Which camera? Which what? What gear are you bringing with you? Uh, I'm taking the D3s. I'm not taking either of the new ones. I want the I want the big camera. Because why would you take your most expensive camera when you go to some place that's really? No, I'm thinking that the, the, the D3s is my most expensive camera, but it's also the one that'll shoot low light, and it's the one I'm still the most comfortable with. Yeah. So yeah. I, I like the I like the uh, low light interior stuff that I can do with it that that even the 800 and 600 can't do. So you're not going the route of going micro four thirds and going with the small body. Ron Brinkman would have said that, hey, I'm going to bring this little tiny camera and just throw it in my back pocket. Well, you know, I, I, you can't beat the D3S for high ISO, though. Yeah, very so. true. All right, guys. And just a quick note from me. A couple of weeks ago, back last year in 2013, we ran. We had Richard Harrington on the show, and we did this. I was on. You're, you're, yeah, you're on here. We did this little impromptu contest where uh, we put the challenge out there for people to create a composite of Richard Harrington and MC Hammer. I don't know how it came up, but we put the challenge out there, and Richard's going to give some stuff away. We're going to give some stuff away to the winner. But we, we, got, a, we got some good entries, and we're going to post the finalists in the community and on the blog. But uh, I'd like to announce the winner. The winner of that contest is Miss Jessica Blackwell. And uh, Richard picked that image, and he couldn't – I asked him to put, send an audio comment in, but he's on a cruise ship or something somewhere, and he couldn't do it. But he sent this line. He says, um, where is it? I think the compositing in the shot is the cleanest. I also like the fact that Frederick gets to share in the shame. So (laughs) I'm not going to say anything more about the image. And I wish he hadn't picked that image, but he did. So I will uh, post that. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, so yeah, I'll post that on the in the blog posts for this and in the community. Thanks all for all the folks that put your hard work into doing that. I think we'll do more contests like that because it was just I, I got a chuckle every time my email lit up with another <laughs> one of those things. <laughs> Richard never looked so good. So all right, guys, let's uh, let's dive right into the show now. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, I, w- I don't want to go so much into a review of 2012, you know, because there's been tons of shows that have done a year in review, and we did blog posts about that. Um, but I just want to keep pressing forward in 2013 and talk about a little bit of 2012, and that was the Instagram thing that went on that you guys heard about. So, Doug, I want to I want to throw it to you first to sort of frame this for us. So you you're familiar with the issue with Instagram and their terms of service change and their flip flopping. Put it in a put a nice bow on it for us and tell us what happened. Well, I gotta assume that the the Facebook lawyers got control of Instagram is all I can imagine. <laughs> but they they took their terms of service, which probably nobody had even read before this, and they changed them to read that they essentially can do anything they want with your images, not just your images, but your 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 own likeness and information about you, and they can sell that or do anything they want with with that without permission and without compensation and uh pretty outrageous i mean it's probably not unlike other terms of service but this one really got the attention of some very famous people and uh uh it just really became quite a storm uh so they they ended up sort of backtracking in two steps at first they said we're going to change it we're sorry and then they said you know what screw it we're just going to go back to the original terms of service that we started with just because that seems to be the least painful way out Wow. In, in the mean, in the meantime, I heard one story. I haven't been able to corroborate this, but I heard that they lost something like half their users. I, it's hard to imagine it was that bad, but a lot of users. 
who knows? I'm sure, you know, I know there was a lot of knee-jerk reactions. And, and from my, it, it just, it really gets on my nerves when you see that. Like, one thing happens, and then there's, like, this herd of lemming that rush towards, you know, oh, this is bad, the sky is falling, Chicken Little, I'm canceling my account, I hate you, Instagram, all this stuff. And then, you know, two weeks before, it's like, I am an Instagrammer, I love this, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so like the internet is just so fickle it just kills me martin did you kill your instagram account what instagram account <laughs> <laughs> i never had one never never jumped on that um, insta who right yeah i know of it and i uh, i think that there's i've seen some good work come out of it but i i've never really it's one of those things that i didn't um i decided not to jump on um just really for a a time thing i i don't yeah. want to spread myself too thin and i uh, i just figured you know it's not one of the things that i was that interested in but it's funny i mean these these companies do keep putting their foot their feet in it and um you know it, it's just it's strange to say i didn't know about this until literally because i've been off off the air um i i didn't know about this until i saw the show notes but it looks it looks funny how they've just uh, you know right away like doug says you know they sounds like the facebook lawyers have had a I think what it is is they they um, they all all of these companies try to sort of wheedle a, a little bit of further into the into the legal stuff and um, cover themselves more than anything. But yeah. you know, it, yeah, I don't know. It's just it's silly the way it all goes. Yeah, yeah, it's it is silly. And is you know, Valerie, I want to throw this to you because I know of this group, you're probably the the one that has the least amount of time or effort into like social media because you're always traveling and out shooting and all that stuff so do you have an instagram account and let's just start there do you no i've I've never used instagram uh i do set some time aside for social media because i think it's either that or you starve as a photographer these days you Mm -hmm. can't i don't think you can you can't be you can't be a successful photographer or run a business as a photographer without social media mm-hmm. today. Um, I think that would be so. Difficult. It's an, so, so conversely to what Trey Ratcliffe would say, Trey would say he loves social media and he can't wait to get in there and start posting and all that. You would you would frame it in it's a necessary evil that you have to do it and get away from it. Oh, I enjoy it. I enjoy sharing. I mean, that's really. To me, it's all about sharing with the community, and I I use it. Um, I don't overuse it. Like I post on Facebook. I have a Facebook page, and I post maybe twice a day. And I always have uh, one picture, and sometimes I give tips. I think it's about giving and sharing more than anything yeah. else. I don't use Instagram. I have nothing against it. I just I just finally got a decent camera phone and I haven't even used that much um, but um, social media uh, for social media no I, I think I think it's a, it's necessary and it's a lot of fun I I can't even imagine my life now without my Facebook page or wow. Google I can I think it's fun <laughs> I can so let, let's talk about that just just this is a good diverse group of people that re- represent you know, different levels of engagement in social media. In you know, I've, I was speaking to a couple of people a couple of days ago, and they were saying, you know, at 2013, I'm scaling back radically on my social media efforts. It was all about getting more followers and more friends and all this stuff. In the hollow calories around that, I, in 
instead of doing that, they're saying, hey, I'm just going to shoot more, and if I build it, they will come and take that, that sort of methodology. Martin, what, what about you? I mean, like, where do you fall on the whole, I want to be posting online, everyone should know what I'm doing every minute of the day, and every, every shot I take, I need to share it with the world, or else it doesn't matter that I took the shot. What do you mm-hmm. think? Uh, there's a couple of things there that, you know, one, I, I'm not one for posting pictures of everything I do. I, I, uh, I believe that you know, the ph- photographer's only as good as the worst photo he shows. Mm. And so I don't show everything. I mean, if I showed everything that I shoot, not only would I be, um, you know, showing people the, the dregs and the, you know, I, I don't yeah. want to be showing people the mistakes and stuff or, right, or right. even, even the lesser shots. I, my, my aim, I mean, I, at the moment from them, them six weeks in Antarctica, I've got almost 300 photos that I've whittled down to. And I want to get that down to about a, no more than hopefully 50 or so uh, before I really start to show people. So to me, I always want to show people the, the best the best work that I can. Um, but as far as social media is concerned, I mean, I, I, I have a certain amount of time that I want to assign to this sort of thing. Um, and how it gets sliced up depends on how much I like the service. And basically, I mean, I love Google Plus and I'll, I'll jump in there any moment I can. Um, when I'm sort of in my semi downtime, but when I've got work to do and I have to sit down and like say write an article or actually do some real real work, I'll just turn it all off. I close my mail account and do everything. I get rid of all of the distractions and do the work. And then to me, a lot of the time, the the social media is something that I'll come back to for a break. Even I'll like if I go and get a coffee and I want to have a sit down for a few minutes and just relax, I'll maybe crank up uh, Google Plus and have a look at what people are posting, maybe post something of my own. But also, I mean, I, I do, to try and get more followers, I mean, because at the end of the day, for a, a working photographer, the more followers you can get, the more chances you have of getting bums on seats at workshops and things like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah. for me to get more followers, I, I actively figure out ways to, of like posting regimes. I'll do things like I'll select two, two photos per day from a, a particular portfolio and then I'll put them out there and let people know that I'm going to be doing them each day. And that gets people following you more because they want to see what's coming up next. Mm-hmm. So I do, I, I, I actively create little strategies for how I post my images. Um, and that's the sort of thing I'll even sometimes put a, a reminder in the, in the calendar, post today's two photos. And I'll put that in for three or four weeks until I've got a, a, a portfolio posted. Um, so I do str- strategize a little bit as well. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting because what I'm hearing from both you and Valerie is business reasons are the reasons why that you're online. If if it wasn't for that, for both of you guys, but then I'll move to Doug. If it wasn't for the fact that you're running workshops and that sort of thing, would you still be posting online or would it be like, you know what, I'm not even bothering? Oh, I like the interaction mm. with um, with people who follow my work on I'm, I'm more active on, on my Facebook page than Google+. I like the interaction. I like to take the time to answer questions, and I get a lot of messages through Facebook also. So I love the interaction. I've met a lot of the people who've been following my work over in Europe uh, during my travels. A lot of them have gone on my workshop. So it, it's fun to meet the people face-to-face after you've been in contact with them for months or years through, uh, through social media. Um, but yes, of course, it's it's a way to show your work, to get people interested in what you do, for them to share with their friends, um, and um, so it's a little bit of both for me. But I'm I'm not at all active on my Facebook personal wall. I've never posted a personal picture or or made any 
personal uh, updates on mm -hmm. on Facebook. For me, it's it's only the page. It's only, it's the only one I use, and it's it's photography related only. Interesting. Doug, I'm pretty Doug, private, so <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I have yeah. a problem with the the Facebook wall where people just put their dirty laundry out and just for the world to see and I just don't get I love, it. I, I love the arguments bothered. that happen on Facebook, you know, when people have their little lover spats and then you see the arguments. I, <laughs> I just this don't is, get that. Whoever, do, whoever does it, please stop. Don't do that. We don't want to hear about your arguments. It's entertaining. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. And then they're like, oh, I can't believe I did that. Um, Doug, what about you? How, how are you? And we're sort of veering off from the topic of Instagram, but, you know, we're done with that. Um, you know, just, just speaking about how you consume and use social media as a photographer, is it for business or is it, you know, how do you do that business versus I just want to engage with the community and share my work split? Yeah, I, I mean, uh, well, uh, I've talked about this before. When I was started on Facebook, I was a, a Facebook slut, which means I befriended everyone. And so I have thousands. Drinking here. I have many, gonna... uh, I have many thousands, through my nose. many thousands of best friends that I've never met or never heard of, but they're all on Facebook. But Google Plus came right at the point for me where uh, my photography was really starting to take off. So Google Plus is 100% photographer for me. I have a, a few family members, but I have no non-photographer friends that I follow or really probably vice versa. So uh, I also don't depend on my social media stuff for income. So to me, I like, I like sort of the challenge of getting the followers up, but it's more of an academic challenge than anything else. I love just trying to understand those dynamics. I mean, I used to have – I've still got this posted here. That I that I used to pay attention to that says uh, six it starts to say ten a.m. and six p.m. That's when I used to post like Martin. Uh, twice oh, really? A, twice really? a day, ten a.m. and six p.m. Try to be regular, and that lasted for about a week. But the post <laughs> is still there on my desk. Yeah, but, that's interesting. It's really interesting, and, and it, it it helps. But um, uh, it's um, you know I just love the community. I love the extension of the online community to the uh, real world community that we especially here in the Bay Area and. Uh, uh, that's it's to me it's it's just part of my social life. Uh, how how yeah. pathetic is that? No, I mean it's it's, <laughs> it's 2013. You know, it's it's, yeah. a, it's a digital world. And and for me, it's also a way to connect with my readers. Since I write for DPS, a lot of people who read my articles at at Digital Photography School will connect with me on social media. So that's a way for them to interact directly with me, and I I enjoy that. So yeah, it's such so, a great community. You know, it's it's interesting because, you know, dating myself again, but going back, I remember when I was just when I was first learning photography, none of this stuff was here. None of the resources for learning, which is the big thing for me. And then the community. If I had to choose between having the community and having all the resources available online to learn, I'd choose the resources in a minute. Mm -hmm. um, it's great to have both though, because it's it's the mm -hmm. one-two punch. But just like having. Having the the, the the sum total almost of the photographic knowledge of the planet, you know, at your fingertips to consume on whatever device you want is big for me. And then the social aspect on top of that means that you can educate yourself on, a, you know, have a whim like, hey, I want to learn about HDR this week. And you just sort of start learning about that online, go try it, and then show a gazillion people and get real feedback on what you did, whereas before you're doing that in a vacuum. Right, Doug? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's fair to say, I can honestly say that if it were not for Google Plus in the last year and a half, my photography would not be as good as it is. 
my interaction with other photographers has been responsible for improving my work a great deal. Really? Yeah. And be specific. In, in what way? Just telling you, hey, you should have cropped that a little tighter no, or it's, it's, all your images are out of focus. It's directional. Right. It's, it's getting feedback from people, but it's also seeing great photography. I mean, mm-hmm. I, have a, I have a followers, a circle of people that I follow, and, you know, I'm constantly changing that so that my Google Plus stream is essentially just great photography. You know, if you, you, know, if you put up cat, cat, get animated cat GIFs, I'm going to take you out of my stream. And uh, I just I see great stuff, and I find it to be very inspirational. So it's curated. And how does that contrast with the way you use Facebook? Facebook has all these people I've never heard of. <laughs> Tens, Facebook is a Facebook is a party that you're like, hey, yeah. hey well, I do have, you. I do have, I do have, you know, old high school friends. I have family, extended family on Facebook. So it's, it's, uh, it's like that. But you know, people that I think I met somewhere along the line. But but Google Plus is my photography place. Mm. Nice. That's very, very much right. how it is for me as well. I mean, and I like. Both both Doug and Valerie have been saying I I really do enjoy the the interaction as well and you learn a lot it's mm-hmm. it's a great place to be so I mean that although I I talk about how I strategize that's that's part of it that's the business side but if it wasn't fun I wouldn't be there anyway uh, and that that's why I spend probably ninety percent of my social media time on on Google Plus and then maybe five on well maybe three on Facebook and then the other seven on Twitter. I, I enjoy Twitter still because you can still interact and I've got mainly photography-related followers and, and people that I follow are all photography-related as well. Um, but Twitter still, I mean, to, to me now, it's just jump on, take a look, see what's happening and po- post replies to, to messages and things or people when people are actually asking questions and then jump back out and go back to Google+. Plus. Um, yeah, so that's funny. Like, I heard, you know, that's the one thing that was missing. We were talking about Instagram. We've been talking about Facebook and Google Plus, but that was the first mention <laughs> of Twitter. Yeah. Uh, that well, is... Twitter, Twitter's still quite important to me, um, but really because now I've I've already got a reasonable, not huge, but a reasonable following over there, and I do like to stay in touch with people. It, it's like someone emails me, someone posts a question. I always try to get back to them, so I uh, I I won't just leave that. But yeah. it's just got lower lower priority now over over the stuff that I'm enjoying doing more, which is Google Plus. So we'll we'll leave this at, and Martin. I want to I want to put this last question about this to you, um, actually to all you guys. You can all chime in one at a time. So Martin and Valerie, I need. You, can you move your mic down a little bit? I'm hearing like a Darth Vader thing coming or, or way up, way up above your nose. Mine. Yeah, yeah we're getting all your breathing. I'm I'm hearing oh. Darth Vader in there somewhere. Um, so Sorry. Martin, no, that's okay. Martin with when you're when you're looking at how you deal with social media, what's your hierarchy? Like if you if if you you know if you had three slots, like an hour in your day, and you had to divide it up into thirds, what's first? What's second? What's third? For social media, you mean? Yeah, the, for, just, for social yeah. media only. First thing is jump into uh, Google Plus. The the thing that I normally do is check to see if anyone's asking me any questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually via looking through the, the comments that people make to post, things like that. Yeah. Um, and if they are, I'll answer them. And then I'll go off and see what other people are posting. Because like Doug, I mean, you get inspiration from it. There's there's so many great photographers on Google Plus that it's just it's nice to look at, look through what people are actually posting in, in the, the timeline there. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then when I've done that, I'll probably 
start to think about if there's anything that I've got that I want to start posting and showing people with, because I like to actively post as well as just reply to things, because I think that keeps your own, um, your own profile fresh. You know, I like to try and post something at least once or twice a day. Um, and I actually also, the first thing that I do, I'm, I'm, I should go back to this. Normally, the first thing I do in the morning when I just straight after breakfast is get the iPad and look at, um, what's it called? If I need to look at the, there's a flipboard. No, it's not. I don't, I, I actually <laughs> don't use flipboard so much. Zite, that's I the one. Oh, Zite. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I, I'll look at Zite and what I do, what I'm doing there is actually just finding a bunch of fresh stories that I can post in my profile. Mm-hmm. And, and that's again, a strategy that I, that I decided to do, um, just to try and give me something fresh to put into the profile and hopefully before most other people have noticed it. Um, so I, I look at Zite first um, and then I'll start doing the actual posting. Um, but then once I've done that, I'll, I'll post a few things through the day. I'll, I'll pace myself a little bit and do, do big blocks of work in between. And then as time comes back, you know, I get more time for social media, I'll maybe jump into Facebook. Facebook though is, and Twitter are really... I'll, I'll look to see if someone's actually, I've got it set up so they emails me when someone actually mentions me or, or does something mm-hmm. like that. And I'll really do that um, reactively. For, yeah. for me, Google Plus is, is proactive. I'll, I'll, I'll strategize, I'll figure out how I want to post. But Twitter and Facebook are generally more reactive. If someone asks a question, I'll go and answer it. If Input not, versus I'll, output, right? Exactly, yeah. Huh. Now, Valerie, what about you? What's your, what's your social media cookbook? Um, my Facebook page is probably where I spend the most time um, and where I interact the most. Google Plus is mostly I get more inspiration and look at other people's work more. And I post. I try to post once a day, but I rarely get to it. Nice. Cool. And, and Twitter, and- it's uh, Twitter posts whatever I post on. Facebook posts automatically on Twitter. Oh, so you have them linked. So, okay. okay. That, yeah, that's all I do on Twitter. So once in a while, I go and answer questions. But, yeah, right. I was I was looking at. I think I made it my pick of the week a couple of months ago, but it's a service called If This Then That. Have you guys heard of that? No. Oh, that you guys got cool. especially you you guys got to check it out. So it's a service called If This Then That. Uh, just Google that and you'll find it. And uh, basically, what they allow you to do is connect different things together online kind of like yahoo pipes but different so you could say whenever and you can connect all kinds of things there's recipes in there to do all this crazy stuff so you could say whenever i post on my blog my wordpress blog also make that same post happen on google plus or you could say whenever someone tweets and mentions my name then send me an sms message and do something else. So it's like you can do this, then that, and set up all these intricate rules so that you basically put a lot of this stuff on autopilot. So you could you could basically you could say whenever I post to WordPress, I want it to go on Google Plus and Facebook and Twitter from one post. Or whenever I post on YouTube, embed that video in my WordPress blog and take the description and make it the post and the title of the video, make it the title of the post and then make it happen or put it in draft mode so I can review it and publish it later. Oh. So, yeah, it's really powerful. I think that kind of stuff is 
because there's so much stuff out there these days, it, it, that kind of stuff in a lot of ways is the way things need to go in order for you to keep up. You have to start introducing a level of automation into what you're doing if you really want to stay on top of all this stuff while continuing to be a photographer. I don't know. Doug, Doug what's, your, what's your recipe for social uh, media? Well, I'm on Google Plus almost all the time. When I post, I usually cross-post using the automation known as copy and paste uh, to to Facebook. So a lot of what I post on Google Plus shows up on Facebook. I still have a blog. Anything long form goes to the blog first, and then I link to it from that. And I just realized I haven't turned on my Twitter client in a week. So, really? Yeah. Interesting. I rebooted my computer in our just what we were talking about. I said, hey, gee, I wonder what's happening on Twitter. I haven't been there for a while. I mean, the only people there, you know, I've got, I've got, you know, you guys on my Twitter. That's all. I've only following a small number of people. Is so. Twitter over, guys? Is Twitter? No, is Twitter no, 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 no. It's great. I mean, because I keep hearing this. I keep, and no one says it's over because it has so much momentum. But I still get this feeling from different people. They're saying, "Oh, there's too many robots on there." Someone says they have a million followers. That might mean two hundred fifty thousand, and the other seven fifty are robots, and. I don't engage there. Some people just use it for output. You know, I'm hearing, I'm not hearing the same level of engagement that I heard two years ago. Still amazing for real time things. If you look at Hurricane Sandy or you look at, you know, Tahrir Square in Egypt, I mean, these things are, you know, they're, Twitter's just an amazing resource for that kind of stuff. It really is. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's and so, a, but it's becoming like a utility, right? It's like it's like saying, yeah, I have, I have water in my house and that's amazing. I think, know, Twitter, I think Twitter's always been a utility. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it, it, had the, it had the gloss of being new for a while, you know, and people were amassing millions of followers or her, at least hundreds of thousands of followers on there. But now it just seems like, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. All right, guys, let's move on to this next thing. Uh, CES is coming up next week, January 7th through 11th in wonderful Las Vegas, Nevada. Are any of you guys flying out there to go check it out? I know, Martin, you're not. <laughs> and if you were, I'm staying off planes for the next month. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've, been, I've been on two. I think I've been around the world three times in the last four months, which is pretty cool. But I'm, I'm staying off planes. That's amazing. So, okay, so you guys may have seen the rumors that are happening or some of the expectations and predictions and things. I have no idea what's coming, but I kind of know what I want. So. In and I'm going to ask for it. So I'm going to ask you know CES Santa to bring it. Um, Doug, what what do you what are you expecting from CES? And what would you and if you're not expecting anything, what would you like from CES? Well, uh, you know, t- to me, it's all about you know what's coming, and I guess we might talk about that in general later. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I'm still interested in mirrorless cameras, and I think a lot of them, obviously, the consumer level cameras are going to be a bigger deal at CES than the pro-level cameras. But I'm really also curious about the 4K televisions and 4K monitors. I think that's a really interesting technology. I got a chance to see some 4K stuff a few years ago at uh, ILM and uh, was very impressed with, with how that looks. It's truly really quite remarkable. So, but should, should um, people care about 4K, though? I mean, from a photographer's perspective, because it's like, my, I just got the, what was it last year, maybe 18 months ago, I got the, a new Sony, not Sony, Samsung Smart, TV, whatever, and it's beautiful. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't know what more I'd want in a TV other than being able to step into the scene and interact with the character. Well, have you have you ever seen 4K in a theater? I, I, I don't think I have. I the Hobbit was shot that way, right? Uh, I don't. Know. Oh. Four, yeah. So 4K is four. What is it? 4K across, not 4K lines. 
Okay. Right. So it's, what does it mean? It's the four thousand lines of resolution. Better picture. Oh. picture. I think the problem pictures. for me, Doug. The problem for me is I'm getting older, and this there's this line of the TVs are getting better, and my eyesight's getting worse. <laughs> so don't, don't at some talk point, to me about getting older. At don't, some don't, point, don't, it don't doesn't matter. <laughs> it's like like retina displays are no longer a feature for me. Yeah. <laughs> no four four K video in a movie theater is quite spectacular, and you would you'll see the difference. Um, and 4K at home. Of course, the problem is, you know, it's going to, there's got to be some whole new infrastructure of how the media is transmitted and so forth. I mean, you're never going to get, not never, it's going to be a long time before you can get 4K over your cable. Yeah. Your cable yeah. service. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm holding out for this rumored Apple TV thing mm-hmm. that they make, that they're rumored to come out with sometime this century. So I think that's, the TV that I have now, good. the TV that I have now will last me until that comes. <laughs> mm. What about you, Martin? What are your predictions, thoughts for CES? I, I was think I was talking literally on the way back from having a bite to eat with my wife last night. I was talking about the Apple TV, the, the, the real big TV that's going to have an Apple mark on it, not, not the little puck. Um, yeah. Cause that's, that's got to happen soon. Uh, but I mean, I I also I'm um, I'm very interested in 4K. Uh, for me at the moment, though, I am looking into it more because I'm probably still going to create content at uh, 1080p. Mm-hmm. So I and and even then I might even be using 720 to publish online. But what for me, what 4K is going to mean for a while until until everything gets switched over to 4K, which will probably happen over the next five years or so um but to me at the moment it's giving it will give me the avail the um poss- the the ability to zoom into a scene so i mean i've i've waiting for two gopro hero threes to come um this month they i i got back from antarctica i actually ordered them on my way back from antarctica um but i i'm waiting for four to for two uh, two of these things to, to arrive and i'm going to be shooting a lot of footage in 4k uh, although it does, it's like at 12 frames per second or 15 frames per second at 4K. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason for that, though, is because I want to be able to zoom into it. When I'm pr- creating the video, the final video in Premiere Pro, I want to be able to zoom around that frame. Because, you know, the, the GoPros don't have a zoom facility. It's just like a set lens. Yeah. You stick it somewhere and, and on either on your head or, I don't know, on, I'm, I'm planning on doing some sucker, sucker cup stuff, putting it on the front of the boat when we're in. Cool. Hokkaido uh, next month um, and I'm going to be doing that sort of thing but then if I shoot that footage in 4k it'll give me the ability to zoom in in post and actually zoom around um, and show people more than just the static screen that, are, that I'll be um, capturing with, some of the, with one of the GoPros so that for me at the moment is the more thing capturing in higher resolution to allow me to zoom in something I don't do very much with DSLRs but with the GoPro I think that'll be a, an advantage um, but I'm, I'm also, I mean, I'm looking forward to the 3D or whatever it's going to be called from Canon. Um, I reckon they're going to be coming out with, the rumors are that it's going to be 45 megapixels. And, you know, to me, although the 5D Mark III is an excellent camera, I, I don't think Canon are going to leave the D800 alone for too long. Yeah. Um, and so they're, and they're you want about, those? You want those megapixels? I'll, I'll take them if the, if I if my lenses can resolve to that amount. Um, I'll take the the megapixels um, as long as it's not at the at the cost of really really poor high ISO. It'll probably be obviously a lot less, a lot lower. 
quality ISO, higher ISOs than the 5D or the or the the 1DX. Yeah. Um, but I I basically have I usually keep a, a camera in three lines. So far, it's been the 1DS, the 1D, and the 5D range. And I like to keep three bodies because I actually use three bodies simultaneously for some wildlife work. Um, but also because I like to pitch, pick which body I use depending on what I want to shoot. So, for example, if I've got the 5D and the 5D with me and the, and the 1DX with me, I'll reach for the 1DX when I need frame rate or when I, or when I need weatherproofing. But if I don't need weatherproofing or frame rate, I'll reach for the 5D because I want the extra four megapixels. Um, and I think with, with a, a D3 or, or whatever, a 3D, whatever it'll be called, um, I'm pretty, pretty sure that I would go for that for like landscape work and things where I could benefit from higher resolution. Um, because, I mean, there, there's, there are times when I've sold images based on the resolution rather than the, the, the image itself. Yeah. Um, I, I mentioned this in Photograph, the, the new Craft uh, & Vision ebook the, or, or e-magazine. Um, I'm, I'm not sure when this is out. I think but the second, the second um, column that I wrote for that, was a, it was called Resolution uh, or Why Resolution Matters But Doesn't. And basically, it's, um, I talk about why, you know, as a professional, we should be concerned about resolution to a degree because I've literally uh, won sales based on having high resolution files. Um, but obviously, if as a, as a hobbyist or even as a professional that knows exactly what, like a, like a newspaper, uh, people that are f- photographing only for newspapers know that they don't need really super high resolution. Yeah, and that's what so, I was going to say because that, that sort of flies in the face a little bit of what other people say about resolution. Is some of the knocks that the, the, the D800E got were, and uh, you know this, were that, okay, how many megapixels do we really need? Because mm-hmm. we're – but you're different. I'm looking at the prints on the back wall there, Martin. You're, you're the photographer, and I've seen some of your – you show me some things that were on – giant walls mm. installations mm. so you yeah. you can suck up every bit of that resolution but for the average photographer that's listening or watching this right now i wonder do they need that i mean do they if yeah. they're just going to be posting them to google plus or yeah. you know at maybe 500 pics and mm. not going to print or even going to print but not going bigger than 16 by 20 or 20 by 24 well well that that's kind of like that's the second half of the of the article that i wrote for photograph Mm-hmm. In that, you know, I mean, I've I've also got a, a photo of me holding up, got a big cheesy grin on my face, holding up a, a 20 by 40 inch print, uh, sorry, a 24 by 48 inch print um, that I made from a 10 megapixel file. And it looks beautiful. So there is stuff that you can do. We can we can up res or, or you know, increase the resolution of the of images to to print. There's always something pretty much always something you can do. And so it's if you don't want to or or. Don't, aren't able to get a higher resolution image, then fine. There's there's usually something you can do. Right, um, right, right. So I basically place place both sides of the argument. Um, it's good if you can have it, but if you can't or you don't want it, then don't worry because you can. There's always something you can do. Very cool. Hey, Valerie, I'm going to get to you, but I think I think Doug is trying to get my attention there. I'm looking at his window. His window is showing some Doug K images. What is this, Doug? What well, are just, we looking as at? I, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I've been uh, doing a lot of testing with the D800E, and I, I shoot the Golden Gate Bridge fairly often, and I, got, I came back and I had this shot. You may not be able to see it, but just above the main cables, there was this line, and it looked like a... Um, uh, it looked like a ghost image. I said, what the hell is that? 
And so I did a little, I, I zoomed in closely and it turned out, oh my God, there are actually cables above the cables. There are these little wires that I could never see before. Wow. And this is, the, and to give you an idea what we're sure here it is after I did some color correction to it. Wow. But look, look at this. See that uh, you may or may not be able to see the yellow box in this image. Yeah, it shows the crop of what I'm doing. So okay. the D800 yeah. gives me this gigantic number of pixels that I can, as Martin says, I can pan, I can zoom in on, I can do all sorts of stuff with. It gives you superpowers. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's, 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 it, but it's also showing me things that I've never seen before. So yeah. I shot, folks, I sh- folks that are that are listening to the audio of this definitely yeah, check sorry, out the video yeah. so you can <laughs> so you can see what Doug's talking about. Anyway, I shot the I shot the San Francisco skyline two nights ago from Treasure Island, and with the uh, seventy to two hundred, uh, with no tele extender, I get back. I look at the images. I can see what's going on inside the office buildings on the other side of the bay. Oh, wow! Yeah, that's all right. Yeah, I mean, there's an argument for both, but. You know, <laughs> don't go don't go selling your your no, car no, just, to get that D eight hundred. It's it's it has its advantages when you need it. Yeah, that's all. Valerie, what about you in terms of CES and new technologies that you just can't live without? What um, what do well, you need so, right now? I I don't really need anything, uh, but <laughs> but I I'm really looking into the mirrorless systems ah. and i think it's going to be a big year for for the mirrorless cameras yeah. um and i don't see them as a replacement to a dslr i just see them as a great addition to your um to your gear and uh for me for travel photography for street photography i can see the advantage of, of shooting with something smaller and less conspicuous yeah. so i um uh, i think i might be that. going that i might be going that route too again not as a an or, but an and, you know, yes, keeping, keeping my DSLR gear, but I would really like to have, cause I've seen the, the things that those little cameras can do mm-hmm. is awesome. And I can, I know situations where I would take that, you know, like for example, uh, maybe going up to Yosemite this weekend and I would love to be able to just take that with me, you know, one of those little cameras and then yeah. flick it in the video mode. And cause I'm not doing professional, whatever type shots. It's more of a fun type type mm-hmm. trip. So yeah, yeah, definitely. So you you are moving in 2013 completely over to mirrorless, is what you're saying, Valerie? Uh, no, that will I will <laughs> add that. No, no, no. Yes. And actually, the I I'm I'm like I use my 40 millimeter pancake lens the most right now because yeah. when I do when I do street photography, I put that on my 5D Mark II, and it makes my camera look pretty small. Nobody really noticed me. Yeah. And the reason why I still like to shoot with my Canon is because I know it so well. I can change the dials without looking, and yeah. and that's what stopped me from getting a mirrorless until now is because I have to learn a new system and probably won't be a Canon, so I have to get used with uh, to get familiar with you know, a Sony or whatever. Um, and the other thing, and call me old-fashioned, the fact that most of those mirrorless cameras don't have a viewfinder bothers me. Right. I like right. Or the electronic I'm, viewfinder. I'm in that camp, too. too. Yeah. Can't get used I, to it? I can't. I have trouble shooting with something where I only have the, the uh, LCD on the back. I need to look through something, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's why I ended up with the little Sony NEX7 as my little camera. So the Sony NEX7 has a viewfinder? Yeah, it's a great electronic viewfinder. I love it. Okay. Oh, that's good to know. Um, that's the one I'm looking at as well. Okay. Hmm. Maybe I'll have to borrow someone on this panel's NEX7. <laughs> Let me know. Uh, you, you just buy me a lunch. You're amazing what you can get for that. You know, always up for lunch in San Francisco. <laughs> 
Um, okay, so guys, let's move on. And this next story, I want to I want to aim at Mr. Martin Bailey first, um, just because you mentioned the uh, the Craft and Vision magazine that they're putting mm. out and and all that. So we want to talk about photography and publishing in mm. 2013 specifically. I, I did an interview with uh, with the blurb. Uh, what, what was his title? Photographer at Large, I think was his large. title. Yeah, Photographer at Large. And we had a nice long conversation about digital publishing and stigma behind pub- self-publishing and just kind of where things are going. But there's so much stuff out there right now. Like, I'm, I'm, you know how you get that bug and you're like, oh, okay, I learn everything there is about this particular thing. The bug that I have right now is uh, the Adobe Digital Publishing Suite and learning how to create apps and portfolios and all that stuff and deploy them to an iPad and iPhone and all that stuff. I feel like that's the next thing that I should be learning mm. uh, or that I should have probably learned in 2012. <laughs> so, but then there's iBooks author for you to publish to the store and make this interactivity. Um, there's conferences like Richard Harrington's tap 2013 thing that and, and guy Kawasaki talking about the ape, you know, all this stuff, it seems like it's just, rising to a head now of the things that we need to make sure that we're learning. Well, Martin, from your standpoint, you're writing, you've been blogging forever. You're a multimediographer, you're podcasting, you're shooting all this stuff. How are you shifting your mindset in 2013 in terms of how you're going to be creating content or are you shifting? Uh, I definitely am. I, um, I remember when I upgraded to, to the CS 5.5 suite, master mm-hmm. suite or master yeah. collection, whatever they call it. One of the reasons I did it was to get access to um, the digital publishing suite. And it wasn't until after I upgraded that I realized it was going to be an extra rather large amount of money every month to be able to use it. Mm-hmm. So for me, seeing this coming in now at, at $30 a month, possibly, then that makes it more interesting again. But also iBooks, like you're saying, I mean, this is basically free. And if I, uh, if I can start to get content into iTunes, to, into the iTunes store for people to buy, then that will, or even maybe free to download, mm-hmm. uh, like the podcast. That's something that I'm definitely thinking of. Um, for me, writing is is becoming a big part of my my business model, and I I want to be able to do more. And one of I'm planning on doing more books this year, and uh, part of that, I mean, for for Craft and Vision, really, we we submit um, as a as a word document with tags showing where images should be, mm-hmm. um, and then the professional does all of the InDesign stuff. Uh, but on a pers- for me personally, I, one of the reasons that I bought the, the master collection from a, uh, the CS suite was um, because I wanted InDesign. I've, I've been using InDesign for a while now, yeah. and I really want to learn how to, how to make that program sing and make some really rich content. You and me and, right here. See, that's why we're brothers, right there. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, but it's it's one it's one thing that I mean I'm I'm relatively busy this year, but having spent four months on the road at the end of 2012, I'm giving myself some block time at home as well. Mm-hmm. Um, during 2000, I mean I've I've got lots of good stuff set up, and there's still a few spaces that I'm working to fill. But I uh, I'm going to give myself plenty of time at home for writing. Uh, I mean it's like for example the one of the big holy grails for a lot of photographers for years has been the coffee table book with mm-hmm. beautiful, beautifully presented and all of that. But the, as time goes by, I mean, they become less and less viable financially. And most photographers lose money doing a coffee table book. Yeah. It's more for the, for the status of being able to say that you've got one. Um, but to be able to create something, especially now with the retina screens on, on the, 
on the, the new Macs and the, you know, we, we've got better quality screens coming out all the time. A big book, um, a high resolution photo book uh, on, you know, digitally would, would be just as, if not even more beautiful than a printed one. Yeah. Um, so I'm and you thinking, can share it with more people, right? And you can. And, and if, you, if you take away the need to physically create something, as, I mean, they're often quite big books. If you take, take away the need to physically create that as a, as a hard copy, then you'll probably be able to reduce the price but to like 10% and sell more than, more than 10 times more, I know. So, you know, financially, it would make more sense to do even coffee table books more as a, digital publish, uh, a digitally published um, let me. I want to explore that a little bit. Um, hmm. Yeah, it's, I just want to do like a like an open panel sort of discussion about this topic. Now, earlier, uh, earlier yesterday, yesterday or whatever, maybe it was the day before yesterday. I was listening to this YouTube video by one of my heroes, um, Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson. He's a director at the Hayden Planetarium in New York City. He's an astrophysicist, and he was he was talking about um, just sort of visual versus written conveyance of information and basically i'm paraphrasing but basically what he said was you can't you can't convey what you mean to another human through the written word like you can through physical face-to-face conversation or video because the subtle nuances the pauses the facial expressions the all that stuff sort of come into play where you can't translate that unless you're a really good writer onto the page so i was thinking and i'm in the same boat martin i was thinking well should i be writing more or should i concentrate on creating video and more visual kind of media because that will connect with the audience more plus video is easier in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. so i don't know i wanted to put it to all you guys i mean what do you think is it and i know valor you're going to say it's not an either or you can do both but if you're going to lean more towards one direction in this age, in 2013, photographers, if they're going to be creating media, should they just be embracing YouTube and Vimeo and all that stuff and creating that kind of media, or should they be writing? Or answering the phone. (laughs) 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 I don't know. I think there is place for both, um, definitely. And and one person can can do both. I, I like to write, and I'm actually writing a book. Now that it's out oh. there, I have to finish it. <laughs> I haven't told anyone yet. Um, probably an ebook about travel photography, which which will have a lot of pictures to illustrate every point that I make. So mm-hmm. I like the visual part of it. That's why I think that will. I, I can see how it being an ebook makes more sense than a than a print book. Yeah. Plus, it won't be 500 pages either. Um, but but is it um, going to be an iBook with video and audio and multimedia no, and audio no, of you talking be, and all that? We'll just be an ebook. Okay. So then and you're I'm, you're sticking you're sticking to the text sort of yeah. traditional way. You're well, moving digital, but you're still you're not gonna you're not dabbling in the multimedia aspects of things yet. Not yet. No. Okay. Okay. All right, Doug. What about you? Like, what where do you fall on that? Is it better? to record video like we're doing now for the show or is it better to sit down and, and write a long blog post and embed images and that sort of thing in it? Well, it, it's a much bigger conversation, but I think it comes back to something that really Martin hinted at, which is you know, like how, how frequently he posts ph- ph- photographs and which ones he selects. I think there's a lot to be said for the quality versus quantity argument. I mean, if you get, if you look at Instagram and Twitter as one extreme and you look at, preparing 
either a printed book. I mean, I've written two books. I know how much work goes into them. Um, Non-photo books. These are text, textual books. Uh, I've done coffee table photo books. Um, Mart, Martin's one of the guys who actually got me into printing. And mm-hmm. printing has improved my photography because I can put hundreds of things online, but I can't do hundreds of different images in print. Yeah. And that whole loop of coming back around from the print once you start printing, it changes entirely the way you think about pressing the shutter button. Mm-hmm. And so that whole process of, of forcing yourself to put something into word, written words, of forcing yourself to print, of forcing yourself to make a physical book or an e-book uh, really changes your craft. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important for, all, for everybody. Love it. Love it. I don't know. It's, uh, for me, the whole excitement about all this stuff is that we can experiment and try all this stuff. You know, mm-hmm. we, can, mm-hmm. we can deploy to iPhones and Android and, and tablets and to the web now and do audio and video and streaming and all this stuff. It's all affordable, if not free. So that's yeah. pretty awesome. Yeah. 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 Well, that, that, you know, I mean, I mentioned earlier, I've got two GoPros on, on order. And I've been looking at the, the GoPro system since they first came out. I remember us talking about it on Twip maybe a year or two ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and these things now are in the third generation, I think. Um, the GoPro 3 is the ones I've got on order. And they're, they're like less than $400. And they shoot 4K video, albeit a little bit crippled. But, um, they do 60 frames a second at full 1080p, and these things are really game changers. They're, they're not sophisticated cameras. They'd literally stick them in a, in a plastic box and throw them in the sea and do everything you want with them. Um, but they're, they're really the, the sort of video that you can get with those. For a long time now, I've been taking video stills, and, and I've been grabbing, uh, grabbing snippets of video um, and inserting them into still slideshows to liven them up a bit. But yeah. I think that video itself, the, with it being becoming so accessible now with things like the GoPro for that price, is it's just so more captivating. You know, still photography is always going to be my main thing. Um, but for me, on a marketing, you know, from, from a marketing perspective, it, people react differently to video. If you show people you, a, a group of photographers having a lot of fun in various places, it's it's got to be a, a lot more effective at getting people to sign on the dotted line than it than just showing them just showing them the resulting images. Right, it, that's yeah, true. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, so I'm. Well, I'm I think from moving. my from my perspective, I'm I'm definitely going to move more into video, and I'm searching for ways of how to make. For me to do something, it's got to be streamlined, and it can't. I guess uh, uh, it's the human condition, right? It's got to be streamlined and easy for me to do repeatedly, Absolutely. or else it'll fall off. So yeah. I'm looking at ways. If I'm going to do short videos often, how do I do that without having to do this and that and this, and then compress it and put it over here and put the titles mm-hmm. and all that? You know, I'm looking for ways to let me to for all the technical of this to get out of the way and let me just concentrate on engaging with with an audience. So. Mm-hmm. I don't know it's another pet project, along with building apps. You know, <laughs> so, yeah. All right, guys. Um, well, we're never bored. There's always something. There's always there's always something. Yeah. Before before we continue, I would like to uh, thank our sponsor, Squarespace.com. 
The new Squarespace has officially launched and it's geared towards photographers to help make your portfolio pop. Now, there are completely new design templates, which are amazing and which will showcase your photos in a gallery, in a collage or a slideshow, or basically however you want people to consume your the work that you put so much work into. And the interface has been revamped. It's now completely drag and drop. So it's easier than ever before to just drag and drop your way to a beautiful website and when people are viewing this website that you build it the this is the magic piece of it because the content automatically resizes and restructures itself to fit on smaller displays so for example if someone looks at your site on an iphone or a android device for example instead of forcing them to download this gigantic high resolution file it will instead be smart enough to deliver them the smaller file size and all of the images that you upload to Squarespace you don't have to worry about that it automatically resizes the images on the back end to prepare them for whatever device might be viewing them it's magic and it's kind of the way things should be and uh you know it's along with having your content delivered out to whatever device is looking at it you can also push your content or pull it from your blogs and push content back out to your social network. So you can use Squarespace as sort of the central hub for everything you're doing. It's really powerful and they're really, they're not stopping with this stuff. They're coming on strong and polishing this thing and making it stronger, faster than ever before. So definitely check it out. You can try it out without a credit card. You can just, you know, no commitment. Simply go over to squarespace.com slash TWIP and start your trial. Be sure to use the offer code TWIP1, that's T-W-I-P and the number one when you purchase to get a 10% discount. And uh, the, as far as pricing goes, Squarespace is $10 a month for the standard plan and 20 bucks a month for the unlimited plan. And if you sign up for a year, you automatically get 20% off. And if you sign up for two years, you get 25 percent off. So you're sure you're, you're sure you're going to make your and keep your website for any length of time. It makes sense to sign up for that longer duration and get that get that 25 percent off. And be sure to use the offer code TWIP1, that's T-W-I-P-1, because you'll get an additional 10 percent off of that when you check out. So that's it. Squarespace.com. All right. Before we continue with this episode, I want to do yet another insert from the godfather of TWIP. His name is Mr. Scott Bourne. Scott went in depth with me on Instagram and that snafu right before or right after it happened. I think it was a day after it happened. We did a quick Skype call because I wanted to get his thoughts. So give this interview a listen. And welcome back to another episode of TWIP. We got a very special treat for you this week. Got somebody that you may have heard on This Week in Photo at some point in the past, or on some other podcast, or in the photography world, the godfather of This Week in Photo. <laughs> Why do I got to be the godfather? The alpha and the omega of TWIP, it's Mr. Scott Bourne. Hey, Scott. Hey, Frederick. Nice to be on the show again with you. We, we, uh, we're revisiting old times. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. And this is this is a special. Well, first of all, I got to say a huge thank you for to you for just coming on out of the blue out of this. I am traveling, so I had no idea what kind of bandwidth I was going to have. I'm in a hotel in um, in Santa Barbara. 
I'm on Wi-Fi, but somehow Skype is holding out, and you agreed to come on because all this Instagram stuff was blowing up and everything, so you agreed to come on with me to let the show go on because the show must go on. So thank you, Scott. I appreciate no it. No worries. Happy to do it. So let's jump right into that. So Instagram, right? We, the, the, so for the folks who may not have heard about this, what was it, earlier today or late yesterday, Instagram released an update to their terms of service that said a lot of things, but the thing that people focused in on was the fact that they were saying that all the photos that you leave on their service after some date in January, essentially 30 days from when they updated the terms of service, would become the property or not the property of Instagram, but the they would have the rights to sell advertising against your work with no compensation to you. In other words, if, say, I don't know, some famous hotel chain or Denny's, let's say Denny's decided they want to buy some advertising on on Instagram, Instagram could sell it to them and then surround the ad somehow with photos that were taken and tagged with Denny's. So, but the the bad part of it was that'd be great if you were going to get some change from that, but they weren't going to give you anything. So Scott, we know that's changed. So tell me, so what, what has changed about that in the what, 12 hours since that release? What's <laughs> well, gone let's down? put it like this. Uh, apparently the folks at Instagram went to the Reed Hastings school of management. <laughs> For those of you who do not know who Reed Hastings is, he's the CEO of Netflix. Yes. And we know how well that worked out. Yes. Um, anyway. Ready, uh, yeah, ready fire, rules. aim. The entire world went crazy. <laughs> Even the cool kids said it wasn't cool to use Instagram, which then – I just want to do a side note. Can I piggyback off this? Yes. It created a subclass of cool kids who then decided to be for the Instagram change because they didn't want to do what everything else was doing. So, and let me guess, you were one of those subclasses because we know. No, no, I, I'm like, are. look, here's the deal. I got, I, I, I don't have a Facebook account for a reason. I checked to see if I had an Instagram account. I had posted two pictures to one as a test for a review. I had 6,300 followers. They must have been awfully bored because I only posted two pictures ever. I deleted the account. What were those the problem pictures with up, this Scott? is very simple. I was concerned about legal liability. Yeah. Now, I get more haters every time I talk about terms of service because for some reason people – whatever service they're in love with, they think I'm attacking it and they should defend it mindlessly. But I read these things. I read the EULAs. I read the terms of service. These are legal contracts that you are bound by. And and here's my concern. Let's say that I take a picture of you, Fred, mm-hmm. and I, I Instagram it. And then let's say the Playboy channel – does a special on transvestites and somehow uses that picture. I'm guessing you're going to be unhappy about it. Why in the world would you have to use that example, Scott? Okay, I'm just because I know you'd be unhappy because you are the furthest thing from a transvestite I know. I think so. Yes. That but, see that was an a, that was an A plus to your manhood. Thank you, um, thank you. I have um, no man. I feel but you would be again. unhappy and you'd say, "Screw this! I'm suing." And then you'd say, "I didn't release that picture." And you'd sue Instagram. They would have to in turn sue me or you might sue us both. And I wouldn't have a model release because it was just a friendly photo. And boom, I'm done. And that is a very real world scenario. Now, today they issued a thing saying, well, we really never intended to use that option. So we're removing it. But here's what things need people need to know. My lawyer looked at it. They could have, and that would have given them those rights. And if you don't intend to use it, why put it in the TOS? Right. So they removed it. Now everything's fine. But I do read the TOS, 
I think everybody should read the terms of service. And there's a, there's a trade-off here. Nothing's free. Uh, you may decide that it's worth it to you if you're not a professional to go ahead and leave pictures on any of these services. Let's take Instagram out of the picture, just whichever one you like. And you may say, hey, if they use my photos, it's, it's free service, so I think that's a fair trade-off. And that I can respect. But as a professional, I try to sell rights to my images, and I can't grant exclusive rights if I've posted any of these images on any of these sites. In fact, I don't know if you've seen a licensing contract these days, the first eight pages are, have you posted this photo on any of the following sites? And then it lists places like Facebook and Instagram. Because if the answer is yes, it says skip to the last page. Well, you know what's in the middle? All your options for exclusive rights where you make 10 times the money. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, you lose all of that, and it's a big price to pay. I would rather pay for my own server and host my own photos. So I don't put, you know, I put like, gee, everyone, somebody was commenting the other day, you don't post a lot of photos. No, I don't. I mean, I have less than 1,000 online out of 400,000 because I need to be able to license these images and I want to get exclusive rights. So, but it, it blew over. Scott, what are what are the options for people though? I mean, there a lot of people love Instagram, and you know they've, they've even co-opted the name Instagrammers to describe the people that are shooting and and really active on the service. But for for those people that want to want to have that community around their photos, and they seek that validation from other people's looking other people looking at their photos and the comments and all that stuff. What are what are their options? Because you know, because I I have this sort of, I mean, I'm like you. I have this sort of. You know, I don't I don't trust Facebook. I don't I don't trust Instagram now. I'm like, oh, but I I still want to be able to post things for people to look at. And I know people are out there saying, well, just put it on Google Plus. But still, I mean, there's terms of service involved there too. So what are what are our options? Well, my my opinion is if you you know you need to decide. Where, where you're going to be in this thing. Are you a professional or not? That's the big number one. If you're not a pro, most of this doesn't impact you. Yeah. If you are a pro, you have to decide what kind of work you're doing and whether or not it, the benefit to being on these sites outweighs the cost. But the safest thing to do is to host your own site and link. Mm -hmm. If you link to your site but don't post the pictures on another, that's what my attorney told me to do. That's what I do with stuff that's valuable. Now, I am in the middle of this – well, I shouldn't say I'm at the end of this experiment. Trey Ratcliffe challenged me <laughs> to try a creative commons approach rather than a rights manage approach. We had yeah. a conversation about a year ago, and, I, and he said, you know, I, I'm making plenty of money doing it this way. And I challenged him. I said, Trey, how do you know you wouldn't make more? If you went to rights managed and Trey being about 42 kabillion times smarter than me, <laughs> turned it on its end and said, well, how do you know you wouldn't make more if you didn't do rights managed? So I went ahead and went – I said, OK, I'll take the bait. I'll do a year of Creative Commons. Sales are down 57 percent. Wow. So I'm going back to rights managed because – 57 percent after a year. 57 percent. Wow. So – it, 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 you know, maybe, maybe it's, I don't have enough of the cool factor. I'm not Trey Ratcliffe. So maybe that's the reason. Maybe the kind of photos he posts, it's different. But for me, my sales are down 57% since I made the switch. Um, it's not a big deal because I'm retiring. So I'm not counting on this income anyway. But it's, it is, it, for me, it was an interesting experiment. Now I want to see if he'll try going rights managed for a year and see, he'll probably triple his sales. But anyway. 
I, I, I think you have to decide whether you're a pro or an amateur. If you're an amateur, you can ignore most of this conversation and most of these terms of service. But if you're a pro, you really need to think about the trade-off. Is what I'm getting worth what I'm giving up? For me, the safest thing is host it on your own blog and then link to it. Scott, I, I want to I talk about that retirement thing that you just glossed over a little bit. Before. <laughs> <laughs> Don't think that's getting by. But before, before I get to that, how you know, I did this interview with Trey a while back t- about how to build large followings online, social media, all that, all that sort of thing. You have a gigantic following online. You've got you know uh, uh, legions of Twitter followers. You've got buckets of traffic going to your blog. All this stuff. How I I know it's I'm answering my own question. I know it's important, but how important is it to the photographers that are out there that are that don't have any of that stuff right now and they want to get to where you are? Is it is it important that they put their like shoulder weight into trying to get people to follow them or should they just make good work? Well, I really think it depends on what what you do to monetize your work. I mean, if you're a portrait and wedding photographer, it's not really a big deal to have a lot of Twitter followers. You want to use Twitter to uh, to harvest clients, not promote yourself so much. But if you're selling books like I do or workshops like I used to, um, if you're selling advertising on, on educational sites like PhotoFocus like I do, then it does matter. Um, but I think you have to decide what it is you want to do. Now, Google Plus has become the hot place for photographers to talk to photographers. But you know what? It's a horrible place. For photographers to talk to clients, that's yeah. what you use Facebook for, for instance. So each of these sites has a different usage. I think for me, I'm on all of them, but Twitter has been the best. I get the most action out of Twitter, and I have very serious doubts about the numbers Google Plus is putting out. In fact, I think they're completely out of this world by a factor of 100 to take anybody and say they've got like 4 million followers on Google+, Plus, but then they've only got 36,000 or 40,000 Twitter followers, I think the Google+, Plus numbers are inflated. And I think it's because to get a, Google, a Gmail account now, you kind of pretty much have to get a Google+, Plus account, and then they pre-sign you up with all these followers. And I don't think anybody's really paying attention. Mm. I've seen people with millions of followers on Google+, Plus publish a link and nothing happens. Back when I had about 80,000 Twitter followers, 50,000 fewer than I do now, I published a link to one of my friend's new books and broke her website. Mm, nice. So I, I think the numbers on Google Plus are grossly overestimated. But if people want to feel good about having millions of followers on Google Plus, God bless them. I, I, I think that um, you know, at each of these services, I think Google Plus is great for talking to other photographers. I think LinkedIn is great for finding people who you want to recruit to come work for you. I think Facebook is great for promoting wedding and portrait in particular. Um, you know, I think uh, Flickr is great for amateurs. Uh, you know, Twitter is great as a, a broadcasting medium, broadcasting about whatever it is you want to do because it's really more like one to many. There's not a lot of conversation actually happening at Twitter, uh, so you use them all according to how you need them. Yeah. So the the right tool for the right job. So there's no there's no hey, I'm going to leave everything and start putting all my eggs on Google Plus or I'm going to figure out everything and just focus on Facebook only. It is the right tool for the right job, right? Yeah, it really depends again on your goal. If all you're ever going to do is sell wedding and portraits, then you could probably get away with just a Facebook account. Yeah. 
Uh, if all you're ever going to do is talk to other photographers, you could probably get away with just a G Plus account. Um, it, it just, again, I, I really think people need to take a look at what their goals are. With any communication strategy, the first thing you do is say, who's my audience? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then once you find out who your audience is, you find out where they're at, and then that's where you go. You figure out how to talk to them, right? Yeah. I, I, for instance, I, I can make Twitter do almost any of these things, but um, that that does come from scale, and I have to admit that it's – you know, you see all these people say, "Oh, it doesn't matter how many followers you have; it matters the quality." <laughs> <laughs> it, it matters. Uh, we have over, you know, fifty thousand starts to matter. When it's over eighty, it matters again. It starts to get exponential, and you can actually move markets. Yeah, and you don't need to hit a home run if you have a lot of followers, especially if they're actively engaged. And I don't know, did you see that New York Times thing where they said that some some percentage of Twitter followers are fake and you could type in? And it looked like about 75% was the highest score anybody got, and I got 72. And there were some well-known photographers who were in the 30s. Only 30% were real. So uh, they probably bought about 100,000. But um, I, I'm doing really well with Twitter, and I'm not telling anybody else what to do, but I'm able to drive a lot of traffic with Twitter. And I think a cyclical system where you do what I call bounce-back marketing, you talk about this thing on this site, which punch pushes to Twitter, which pushes to the other thing, I think that can help the most, most. And I do outline all of this, by the way, in my book, Going Pro, which is available from Random House. Yes, you do. I have it on my bookshelf at home. Thank you very much. You and uh, Skip's book, right? It was crazy about my book plug. I make a whopping buck off of it, so back up. <laughs> but your name's on some dead trees, Scott. It's a good thing, that's what I'm doing, by the way. I'm never going to make a dead tree book again. That is next. I'm glad you said that. Well, well. Before I before I segue into the dead tree apps versus books and all that, retirement. What? What? what you, you're not retiring. Look, all the stuff that you just talked about that you're doing and these marketing practices and all this stuff. You're not going anywhere. You're going to do the Michael Jordan. What, what's going on? I'm retiring from assignment photography. And I'm letting go a lot of my business interest, and I'm going to pursue my hobby, uh, which has been race car, uh, team ownership and driving. And I'm going to uh, go to Europe and start to try to race in the GT series with a bunch of young kids who can go really fast. And I'm going to spend six months a year doing that. So I can't really call myself a full-time professional photographer after November 2nd, uh, 2013. But you're not folding photo focus or any of that stuff, right? Your, Your presences will still be around has been sold. I cannot disclose to whom, but a rather large media corporation. And my friend Rich Harrington's helping me do the show now. And I will start to fade away and be less available on the show. And Rich will pick it up. I'll show up from time to time, but uh, he'll be mostly responsible for it. And the site will continue, and I will continue to occasionally contribute. But, you know, I've written a post for that site almost every day for 14 years. And that, my friend, will stop. Wow. Well, well congratulations. This sounds like a... Uh... A, a life change metamorphosis for Scott Bourne. Yeah, we'll see how it all takes. This is my third my third attempt to retire. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get it right. Third time's a charm, Scott. <laughs> you know, it's easier now though because I'm I'm old. And You're not old. You're in your fifties. You're not old. Come on. I'm 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 the wrong side of fifty five, okay? <laughs> uh, and so I'm I'm starting to realize there's things I want to do and I can't do them if I'm spending eighteen hours a day. 
uh, you know, tending to my photo business, which is pretty much what I've been doing all my life. So I'm going to, I'm going to step back. I I mean, I'm not going to completely disappear. Although one of my friends suggested I should pull an Andy Kaufman. Oh, and just like go and and grow a, what, what did he grow? Like 900 feet of facial hair and just sort of go crazy. And he wasn't, then he came back for a million dollars. So I might just say, this is my last tweet ever. And then someone will pay me a million dollars to come back and tweet again. I don't know. Wow. All right. Well, and I'll write about it. So let's let's talk about let's talk about your this other transition, right? So you said you're never going to write a dead tree book again, which is a bold statement. And I've heard I've heard that before from other photographers that have said that almost the identical thing that they're not writing books anymore. That they are either going to do ebooks or go do online stuff or what? What's what's your thinking? What's what's the methodology behind this for you? Well, I, I had, you know, Random House is the largest publisher in the world, and God bless them, you know, they're not any better than any of the other ones. And <laughs> the cover price is like 36 bucks, and I make a dollar. I spent 22 months of my life working with my buddy Skip Cohen on this book, and I get a dollar. Something's wrong. Um, they don't do anything other than pretty much issue a press release and the printing. And and everything is online. The ebooks and the apps are where the market is moving. I mean, how many bookstores are left in your neighborhood, Frederick? Jeez, uh, one. I can tell you exactly one Barnes and Noble, and it's in the mall. That's it. So there's no, I mean, bookstores are going away and gone. Um, and my, my friend Guy Kawasaki has a brand new book called Ape, which everybody should get author, publisher, entrepreneur, and he and I are speaking, in fact, in Orlando, Florida, January 7th through 9th at a new conference for people who want to do this digital publishing called tap2013.com. Yep. And, uh, there'll be other people there. Scott Kelby's going to speak. Terry White's going to speak. Uh, some folks from Bates are going to be there. They're, they do a lot of uh, you know stuff for the military and other, other kinds of production. We're going to be talking about how to self-publish apps and books because you can work with Amazon Direct now and get 70%. Now, suppose you sell a lot less, but you get 70% instead of 7%. You don't have to sell that many to make the same amount of money, and you get to control the entire process, which is my favorite part. Wow. So then – so what what are you leaning towards? Are you leaning towards just doing sort of ebook type things, or is it going to be lean more towards apps and distribu- distribution through the App Store? We're going to do books. We we – we are also doing apps. I'll have to tell you, we haven't had the best luck with iBooks, uh, you know, at all. We've we've had a book in submission for six months. They haven't approved yet, so that's Ouch. that's. We're probably going to stick with more of the traditional methodology, but we're going to apps and and other things. Um, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna focus on creating content, and then I'm gonna let my team decide how to get it distributed, but. I know for a fact that I'm not signing another book contract, and here's why. Because I actually got out of the second book. We had a two-book deal with Random House, and we got out of the second book. That's not something I would have done or or did easily given the fact that I had some good upfront money. I did it because I just felt like, you know, when we gave them the book, for instance, it was perfect. And they switched captions around. They <laughs> they screwed stuff up. It's like, I want to product especially when my photography is concerned i like to do my own cmyk i like to do all that kind of stuff if i was going to print um 
I didn't get to do that on this. And, and I want to control how the product looks, and I want to make sure that people get it. And we're going to go cheap. I mean, we're going to be selling books for $0.99 cents and $1.99. The new average for an ebook is $9.99, and I think that's good. It makes stuff more affordable and more accessible to people. But uh, the, the one issue there is going to be is curation. In the past, we've relied on bookstores to be the curator. Uh, there's going to have to be some new curation methods. Uh, the people behind the long tail theory think that it will be the long tail. I don't think that works, but we'll see. Wow! So you're going, you're going. I wouldn't say that's the long tail, but you're going after the masses, right? With a with a low price point like that. Well, I'm going after a broader swath of the photo market, for instance, because I want to make sure everybody who wants training can get it. So I can do it cheaper if I'm in control of it, and I don't have to give 93% of the cover price to somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. It's a great publishing company. I appreciate their interest in me. But, you know, I think the train has moved through that station, and a bunch of well-known photographers, I won't name names here, uh, who have published with some big photo, uh, you know, related publishing companies have all told their publishers we're done. And they're all going down this road, which is why this new uh, conference is interesting. We're going to do it in uh, Orlando. It's also going to be at NAB in uh, April. And it's the future. The future is is mobile and apps. I mean, some surprising number of people under 25 don't own a car or a TV, Frederick. Did you know that? No. In fact, don't even have a driver's license. And the reason is, is that when I was young, you got, a, you got a driver's license at 16 to get out of the house and away from your parents and to meet with your friends. But now people go to the basement. <laughs> <laughs> they go to the basement, log on, and, uh, and connect that way or connect like we're connecting right now through Skype or something, right? Eat all that stuff. So they're, you know, they're going to consume information a lot differently than my generation did. They've been brought up on tablets. Yeah. You know, things like the iPad. I even know kids reading books on the iPhone now. I'm way too old to even think about that because I can't see the type that well. But I love reading books on my iPad, I, uh, on my iPhone. I do it from time to time. But then I pick it back up on the iPad. So, hey, I still have a foot in the young generation here. You 40? <laughs> What's that? You 40 or under? No, I am not. I'm 40 or over. <laughs> still see? <laughs> I kind of see. I'm okay. I could feel my way around. What's going to happen over the next year or two? That, that arm is going to need to get a lot longer as you move the paper away from your face. I know it. I know it. I used to see my dad holding things on the other side of the room to read sentences. I know. So Scott, let, let's let's. The other thing I wanted to chat with you about. I heard a a rumor. Tell me if it's true or not. That well, let, let's let's rewind. So back. In the olden days, Scott Bourne was a cannon shooter. And then something happened and some sort of upheaval went on and Scott Bourne became a Nikon shooter. And then some sort of upheaval happened apparently just recently. And now Scott Bourne is looking towards Micro Four Thirds cameras as his primary way of taking pictures. Is this true? It's a step. What I did was... I miss? Nikon or the Aperture and Lightroom. <laughs> A lot of steps back in the old days where I was shooting Hasselblad and Olympus and a bunch of other brands. But from the, the digital days, I started with Canon, switched to Nikon. Then I added Canon back in, and I was shooting both. And then I dropped Nikon last year when the D4 and the D800 came out because I thought the 
and this is where the hate mail is going to come from. The 1DX was better, and I shot since last March with the 1DX, and I still think it's the best camera I've ever used. But I got sent an OMD EM5 from Olympus to review for uh, Imaging Resource, this one, an outside review that also I think eventually appeared on Photofocus, and I fell in love with the camera. And this will be a shocker to you, Fred. I bought I paid money for them. I bought my own camera. Oh wow! This is this is will be, be like what number two in your entire career? And I bought another one. I have OMD bodies, and I bought every lens Olympus makes, and it costs less co- congruently than about one one DX. And you know this, I'm just making these killer images, nine frames a second, beautiful tonality up through ISO 1600, and no chromatic aberration. I got a 600 millimeter lens that weighs a pound compared to eight pounds and cost a thousand dollars rather than ten thousand dollars. And nobody thinks I'm a terrorist because I have a camera. Because <laughs> the small camera couldn't be a pro, right? And we all know pro cameras are for terrorists. So right. I actually did a test here at City Center. I, I have a con at City Center, and I walked over to the Aria with my 1DX and my, you know, the, my big 7200 and a, a 580 EX2 flash with a flash extender, and it wasn't three seconds before Paul Blart Mall Cop and all his buddies were on top of me. Mm. You can So I went to the same place carrying my OMD, not a peep. Well, and you're, when, you, when you carry the OMD, you're just another tourist, right? In fact, I'm, we're doing another test where I'm going to go out to five locations as I normally would with the 1DX, and then I'm going to buy a special tourist outfit, you know, like poker chips on it and one of those beer hats, and I'm going to take the OMD and do the same thing, and I bet – and we're going to video it, and I bet money. Nobody says a peep to me when I'm using the OMD, dressed like a tourist, but I'll be – I'll just be molested un, unendingly. When I use the 1DX. So that's part of it. The other part of it is because I am retiring, I'm not going to be doing a lot of active wildlife, fast wildlife stuff. I don't need the 1DX fast focus. And I'm only giving up about one or two things by switching to the OMD. I'm giving up tethered shooting, which I don't do a lot now anyway. And I'm giving up the super fast acquisition autofocus of the 1DX. Now, this is very fast autofocus on the new OMD Olympus. It's not designed for high speed like wildlife or motorsports and whenever i have to do that it'll just be for fun so i'm not going to care and if i really need one of those cameras i can always rent one again but i just i want to go light the other thing is being old carrying all that gear is hard on you and i did image test after image test frederick and i can't i I gotta tell you it's 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 kind of mind-boggling i've got I had I, I just sold my 600 Canon lens. I sold my 800, 600, 500, 400s. They were all primes. On my 600, there's a little chromatic aberration and fringing, wide open and stopped all the way down. On this 75 to 300, which in effective focal length in micro four thirds is three is uh, 150 to 600, no chromatic aberration. It's wow. stupid to me. Now what are you, what are you doing with your old stuff? Are you uh, are you like seriously making the jump and you're going to liquidate everything or are you just going to mothball it? 
all my big lenses already to some of my bird uh, workshop clients who were anxious to get a hold of stuff at a little bit of a discount since you can't even buy some of those lenses anymore. I mean, they don't, they don't sell that many of them. So nobody stocks like the 800 Canon 5.6. It's a, you know, $13,000 lens. Not a lot of people stock it. So I sold most of it. I got, I sold three of my one DXs. I have two left and eventually I'm going to put all that stuff up for sale that I have left. It's Canon. I'm not going to have anything but the Olympus OMD, I'll probably buy a third body because I don't like to switch lenses. Wow. Wow. So. That's that's amazing. You know, I was kind of looking at moving in the same direction, too. I'm still doing some research, but I'm really liking those small bodies, the small, light, and smart, and fast, and just slick-looking, and then all the, like you mentioned, the uh, the lack of stigma of, oh, you're a real photographer because you have a big big camera body and a big lens on it. I love that funny when you're breaking into the business you really want to look like a professional photographer and when you really are a professional photographer you don't want to look like a professional um like this there's a 12 millimeter lens for this camera that's so sharp it cuts glass that's it's the effective focal length of 24 it's a 24 to 8 it is so sharp and then i just did a test with the 75 1 8 now keep in mind that's the effective focal length of a 150 how big, Frederick, would a 150-1.8 have to be on your Nikon? That would be uh, pretty massive, yeah. Have a front end six inches wide. Yeah. And it would weigh five to eight pounds, and it would cost $1,000. I was going to say it might have, might have the words of Hubble written on the side of it, too. <laughs> it cost about 900 bucks. And I'm going to say something that I do not say lightly because I've done a lot of lens tests over my career and I've done them the old-fashioned way, the way that Jack Russell from the Indianapolis Star taught me to do it. We put a newspaper up on the wall. We shoot it off a tripod in the same light at every f-stop and we see where the edge fall-off is. This is probably the sharpest lens I've ever tested. Wow. Really? And you've owned pretty much every lens, right? So, Lens from Canon, Nikon, Hasselblad olympus pentax minolta um going way back into my career and this is probably if not the sharpest it's got to be tied it's it's crazy sharp so when you look at a 151a that weighs a pound that's weather sealed that fits on a body that almost fits in your coat pocket we're getting to a point now with these cameras where you know unless you really need big file sizes to make billboards. I, I, I just can't say, you know, I shoot at nine frames a second. <laughs> what more do you need? Right. I know. I know. And, and 1080 video, right? Yeah. The video is nice. I mean, it's, 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 it's a good compromise and it's not perfect and everything. Then there's no camera that is, I mean, but I got to tell you, I've been shooting this exclusively now for almost three weeks I have not taken a picture with a 1DX for three weeks, and I take pictures every day. And I'm looking at every single picture going, oh, my God. And so then I got the macro lens, which is like a 120, I think, F2. I can't remember the uh, how fast it is, but it's really fast. And that sucker, it's just crazy. It's crazy how good it is. And all of these lenses are under $1,000, and some of them are under $500. The 4518 is for something. Uh, it's crazy good, and I, I just challenge people to shoot with this. Now, I'm not speaking out against the Panasonics, and there'll be plenty of people that will email me and say, well, why didn't you mention the Panasonics? I just haven't played with them recently, but I'm sure they're as good. Um, 
but you can switch lenses. In fact, there's no fisheye from Olympus, so I'm buying the Panasonic 8mm fisheye to go on the Olympus OMD body. They're in, they're, they're, they switch back and forth. Wow. Um, some other companies starting to make lenses for them. It's really a lot of fun, too, because it's so small. Now, it does require you know, some relearning. My motor skills are all dialed into the Nikon and the Canon cameras. Uh, so that's taken a little bit of a, a hit that I've had to relearn my, my motor skills to remember which button to push when I'm not looking at the camera. But short of that, I've had nothing but great success with them. And the other thing that, that you give up, especially going from the Nikon side, would be the, uh, the, like the Nikon CLS system, the creative lighting system, and sending data back and forth to the flash and controlling multiple flashes from the camera position and doing basically the Joe McNally thing. You, I don't think you'd be able to do that with these just yet, right? And yes, you can. Yes, you can. You can. All you right. Can. <laughs> I'm trying to. I'm trying to convince myself not to get one, Scott. Come on, help me. Yep. It has a remote control flash system. Works very similarly to the the Nikon system. Now, here's what you do give up as a pro. There's one other thing. Olympus has piss poor support for professionals. There's no, you know, there's no like. Uh, you know cps or anything like that you if you have to send it in for return you you may be out it for several weeks um you can't which, get means, a lo- which means by two <laughs> yeah it's exactly you can't get a loaner overnight or any of that kind of stuff so there's no pro support they say there is i applied for it never heard back and so i i, I think it's it's sort of a, a side of their company they they've been like futzing with now they just got a big cash infusion from sony so maybe they'll 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 bring that up, but they've been sure bringing out a lot of cool lenses, so they're not going anywhere in that regard. They've just, I mean, like one after the other, every quarter there's another new great lens. They're not so-so lenses. In fact, they're improving. Their original 17 was a 2.8. Now they got a 17.18. Um, so there's lots of movement that's that's on the good side, and and uh, you know, for me. It's the right choice. Now, when it comes to cameras, I know that plenty of people in the audience take this very personal. So, you know, they, they think, well, if you didn't use the camera that they used, that somehow they've made a mistake and you're wrong or whatever. But it really doesn't matter. I mean, I can make this thing do just about anything the 1DX can do. The only thing it can't do is, like, shooting eagles, having eagle fly straight at you. The 1DX and the 5D Mark III are the first two cameras I've ever owned that could acquire autofocus with a bird flying straight at you. Mm. I was not able to do that, by the way, with my D4. Really? Um, yeah, I wasn't. Um, huh. But um, and and the side to side, it does pretty good, but not quite as good. But everything else, like it's just, I'm getting these pictures, and I keep looking at them in Lightroom, and I'm going, "Holy moly!" It's wow. it's it's unbelievable. I think you know, go out and test them. That's what that's what my challenge is to everybody. Go out and test them, you know, and see what you think. Rent one for the weekend, play with them. You know, I think you'll be really surprised. And they fit, you know. I got I got everything I described in one bag. <laughs> I got like two flashes, two body, one battery grip, seven lenses, you know, accessories, filters, all in one bag. I love that. I think that's 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 the uh, the name of the game in 2013 is scale down stealthiness for the photographer instead of being the guy running around looking like a photographer with giant, you know, white lenses and all that, right? I I, re- I think so because you know we've got signs here in Vegas that say see something, say something, and what's on the billboard? 
a photographer. Oh, of course. Yeah, because we are we are the evildoers, right? Well, wouldn't be to just look it up on Google Map, see a picture of it. Now, Scott, let's uh, let. So, one thing I want to do before we we end this discussion here is have you tell me. I mean, and maybe you just did with this micro four third stuff. But what was the most significant thing in 2013 that you've seen from your from a photographer standpoint? Well, I actually think the most significant thing has been the the way the smartphone has been adopted as the replacement for the point-and-shoot or the compact camera. I mean, we've seen smartphone photography impact this year that's just mind-blowing. I mean, people are doing everything with these things because the cameras on – I have both. And, and see, this is the reason I do this. It, it, I try to be Switzerland, Frederick. It's hard for the haters to come after me. I have both a Samsung S3 Galaxy and iPhone 5. But which one do you use? I, I use them both. Oh. They both have great cameras. And, you know, I make really good pictures. And better than five years ago, the compact cameras we were shooting. So, you know, you look at sites like Instagram and Hipstamatic and, you know, now Flickr, which, by the way, Flickr has a tremendous new iPhone app. I don't know if you tried it yet. I have tried it, yes. I love it. Awesome. I mean, Flickr is back. Um, but, you know, the, the smartphone, I think, is the real big story for 2012. I don't know. What do you think? Um, yeah, I, I would have to say uh, mobile in general. Yeah, smartphones. But the thing that's got me is just like you were saying at the beginning of this when we started talking about apps and things, just the just the watershed shift of consciousness away from laptops to – I mean, before it was like, hey, the laptop is replacing the desktop. You know, now – laptops are your granddad's computer and everyone's on a smartphone and a tablet if you're cool. I mean, if you're sitting in a coffee shop on a laptop, you're kind of like the old guy now. Everyone, all the cool kids have tablets now. <laughs> it's like, so from a, from a distribution standpoint for photographers and people that distribute media and training and things like that, I think that is the most significant epiphany for me over the years that is that uh, getting data and stuff, content out to portable devices is the way of 2013 and beyond. I just ordered a new iMac. That's replacing the Mac Pros we were using. And then, you know, a lot of places we had iMacs, we've installed MacBook Airs. And a lot of places we're using Airs, we've switched to iPads. And then, you know, I, I can eventually see the staff asking for iPhones. I'll be gone by then. But... Um, <laughs> Uh, it, it is amazing. You're right. The whole mobile sharing thing. I mean, I sit on an airplanes a lot, and I'll sit there and pull up my portfolio on my iPad, and I'll have all the flight attendants standing around looking at the pictures. It's it's crazy how it still is for me. The most important thing about tablets has been the ability to show my portfolio in a way where the user gets to interact with it. I think I still think that was a watershed moment when when I realized that we were back in the situation where the viewer got to control the experience because I'm old enough that we used to ship a real book. We called it a book and we'd say, send your book to the agency and we'll decide if we want to use you. And you would ship a book and I tell these stories to my staff and they look at me in horror. They're like, well, well, why didn't you just email it? Well, because well, well, couldn't you use Flickr? No, there was no internet. What about Facebook? There was no internet. Uh, they, they don't get it. But we used to, you know, and the thing is, there was a physical experience of the editor paging through the portfolio. 
Then what happened was we went to computers and someone sat next to us and we drove the mouse. And unfortunately, we often interrupted the viewing experience because the people either didn't want to speak up or too timid, or, you know, they just let us go at our own pace. Maybe they wanted to look at a picture longer and we let them. Now it's back to I hand someone my iPad and they control how long they look at each picture and they pinch and they zoom. They just know to do it intuitively. I, I still, still get chills about it. I think it's a big deal. Yeah, yeah, I know. The same here. And it's just, you know, and you, when you think of it from the standpoint of, wow, you have all this cool stuff to do and, and all these cool new toys. And then you step back and think about we're kind of just at the beginning of all this. Where are things going to be in 2015 or like 2020? You know, it's, just, it's insane to think of how fast things are going and the cool tools that we'll have to play with. Elytro to answer that question. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think that I think I know where they like it to go. Yeah, definitely. It's the holodeck. Yeah. Um, well, was, immersive photography, right? I, I was in Japan not too long ago, and they have things that look a whole lot like holograms. They run as advertisements in the big city there in Tokyo, and and there, you know, we're moving towards a day when you're going to walk through a landscape photograph. Wow. I mean, you've got focus stacking now, which is which used to be. By the way, I love I love the fact that that the youngins think everything is new. F- focus stacking was something we did in the seventies when we shot macro. <laughs> nice. Well, def- well, for the folks that are scratching their heads and wondering what focus stacking is, what is focus stack focus stacking? Bracketing your focus instead of your exposure. So you focus on the near subject and then maybe a little bit in, then a little bit further in, and then the background. Depending on how, you know, how much distance there is, you may need anywhere from two to ten pictures to make sure that there's slices you know, all the way deep. And now the Lytro basically does that in one picture. That's really the technology behind it. It's called near-field photography. It's been around a long time. Yeah. And, and they just made it an automated process. But we're, the point of that is then you you know most people were surprised to find out that Elytro shipped at a fixed f of two eight, and they were like, well, how will I ever make you know stop down pictures? Well, it doesn't matter because it's taking that two eight shot, you know, eight times, and it's picking a different point in focus and it's doing it all at once and then merging the photograph. So you know we'll see more of that in the future i hope i live long enough to see how that gets implemented it'll probably be far beyond me i'll be i'll be sitting in my my chair at the old folks home looking at what used to be a tv which will be some small square thing the nurse hands me but mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> as, as as long as i can watch racing and 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 uh you know have fun, I don't care. But I, I think we'll see stuff like that in the future. I'm very interested to see where this... I think Lytro will be adapted into other camera systems. I don't think the Lytro is the end. The camera they're shipping is just the beginning. I think... And that's that's a good way to end the, interv- end the interview because we are, we are at the end of 2012 and at the beginning of some exciting stuff. And it sounds like you are at the beginning, the end of a bunch of things and the beginning of a bunch of things as well, whether it be your Micro Four Thirds stuff, this transitioning from books to apps, the, uh, the TAP 2013 conference. It just goes on and on, Scott. You're, you're, a, you're a wild man. I don't know where you get all this energy from. Well, I, I, I'm... Trying to uh, learn how to be more relaxed. It's not. It's it's not going to happen overnight. And uh, I want to say thank you for inviting me. It was very kind of you. I miss you guys. I 
miss the old days when we sat around and did you know twip together and uh, always had a fondness for the show and despite the fact that some of the listeners hate my guts i love them oh, it's no one no one hates your guts scott we love you and you are always welcome on this weekend photo whenever you want to come on i hope uh, you continue to have success with the show i know that you're doing you're doing great things with it all right, Scott. Thank you. I appreciate that. And listeners, um, like I said at the beginning of this, if you're listening, I am in a hotel room. So in the bandwidth here, I'm surprised it didn't cut out during this interview. But uh, Skype let me do the interview, but there were some cutouts in there. So I apologize for that. But uh, the show must go on. And we got Scott Bourne. So what can I say? So, Scott, thanks you. thank you. And, uh, hey, man, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Same to you. All right. Talk to you soon. All right, that was Mr. Scott Bourne. You know where to find him. You can find him over on Photo Focus or follow him on any number of social media networks. All right, let's jump into some listener Q&A. This is the segment where we answer questions that have been at the top of some of our listeners' minds. Question number one is from Jason Machado, or Machado and he writes... He wants to know specifically, he says, I'm headed back to Afghanistan again this summer. Last year, I took my D7000 prior to going full frame. Full frame. <laughs> I was going to say follow focus. Fast forward. Or fast forward. There's F up in here. All right. Show notes writer. Acronyms. Not good. And he says, and a few lenses, but he was hesitant to bring it out very often. Being infantry, he expected to uh, get shot at and he would leave it. Back, leave it in the kit back on the base. So he's thinking of upgrading to a D800, Doug, next spring to get amazing resolution. But he's considering going mirrorless, Valerie, in hopes that <laughs> I will carry my camera with me more often. In that case, I would wait on the D800 till I get back in 1.5 years or so. So I'm trying to find the question in here. So I think what he, he wants to know is what should he do? Should he get? He's looking at the Lumix GH3. He's looking at the Sony NEX. He's looking at the D800. Based on what he's doing, Doug and Valerie, what do you guys think he should do? And Doug, don't w- say get both. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, Valerie. I would go mirrorless. There. Nice. I right. said it. Nice. Well, and actually, <laughs> I, would, I said it. It's out there. It, well, plus the D800. I mean, he's going to be in really dusty conditions. Would I? I don't know if I'd want to bring something that fancy. Yeah. I'd, yeah. I'd bring something small and compact. What are those file sizes like, Doug? How how big is the average file? Uh, about forty-five megabytes. Wow! Wow! So On that's the, the other concern. And where that's are a you? File. Where are you storing those images at? Are you, what's your what's your backup? Uh, I have. Funny you should mention that, because being end of the year, I have a stack. I have a whole collection of one terabyte. Or sorry, two terabyte Western Digital USB drives. I've been doing backup <laughs> with. <laughs> So, you you might need an intervention. This, I don't is, know. this is my. This is my. I, I got rid of my Drobo because I didn't. I don't trust it. I but thought you, know, you were going to say those were Cyquest drives, man. <laughs> you know, no, no. This is my USB two terabyte drives. Listen, I'll tell you, Frederick, you're the expert on this. You're the guy who's got the both the Nikon and the military experience. But yeah, yeah. having said that, um, if I didn't, I mean, I'm. I, I've never had a um, a Micro Four Thirds camera. I wish I did. I think the OMD sounds like a great camera. Uh, you know, the, the Olympus care, uh, cameras sound great. If I had to pick one of the Nikon bodies that he mentioned, I'd take the D700. Uh, that's, you know, that's almost up there with the D3 bodies in terms of being built like a brick. Yeah. 
Yeah, you can hammer um, nails the, with that thing. Yeah, the 7,000, the 800, they're nice, but they're not made like the 700 and the D3 bodies are. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with you. Like Again, coming from a, the, the military standpoint, you want something that's going to be rugged and and stand up to what you're going to put it through. And those camera bodies are designed to, to, to handle all that. If you can afford it, I would get that. If price is, price is always an issue, but depending on how much price is an issue, then I would consider the micro four thirds. He's already got the D 700 and, and as he said, lots of nice glass. Yeah. So I think he's got the best combination there, but I, I do yeah. think the, the micro four thirds cameras look really good. Yeah. Maybe, maybe send it out, have it tuned up, yep. you know, and cleaned before you go. So, that's all I would do. All right. Question number two is from Jordan. He writes, hello, Frederick. I'm 14 and I'm new to photography. I want to start selling digital photos on my website. I'm not sure where to start. Thank you for providing such a great show. You're welcome. All right. Uh, who should I throw this to? Martin, who sells web photos on his website. Where yeah. should he start? Uh, start a podcast. Uh, um, he's 14 yeah why not no no really i'm being i'm kind of tongue-in-cheek there but um the really the you're not going to sell any photos at jordan until people know who you are and and how to find you so the biggest thing about selling photos uh the easiest thing is actually getting a system set up where you can actually sell them photo shelter smug mug all of those places do that Mm -hmm. yeah um but obviously, you need to create good quality photographs themselves. And finding a system to to make them available for sale, uh, you can do that pretty easily uh, with with online services. But the biggest problem of selling photos, and this is for anybody, professionals as well, is getting people to actually hear about you. And one of the best ways to attract an audience is to share information or you know even just sharing your photographs if the if the quality is high enough people will start to start notice you but give it away you, give it away right? yeah you, like you've the got red hot be, chili peppers said. right you've got to be able to figure out some way of building an audience um and because even even a very dedicated audience very rarely put their hands in their pockets um yeah. so you've got to figure out a way of, of getting people engaged with you and there's a number of ways to do that and at 14, you've probably got a whole world of new stuff coming along over the next few years that'll that'll really help you to do that. So yeah. I, would, I, would I would really I'd piggyback on that, Martin. I yeah. would piggyback on that before. I don't know what it is. he says. He's new to photography, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna take that tangent. Um, before you start trying to sell digital photos on your website, make sure you are a competent photographer and you know what Absolutely. you're doing. So don't just you know. If, people that are non-photographers see your work and they say, Oh wow, Jordan, that's awesome. You are such a great mm. photographer. Don't take that as gospel, you know, take it to someone, put it online, put it on Google plus or somewhere, not, not Flickr yet because you know, we get the, the Flickr effect of everybody liking your work there, yeah. but put it someplace where you're going to get some, some objective feedback on what you're doing and then keep shooting and build up some mileage on your shutter finger to become good and find out what your look is and what your style is and what you really like shooting and then start consider considering selling your images mm. because what what could happen is 
you know, some your mom or whoever says, hey, Jordan's such a great photographer because you took some great pictures of a bee or whatever, and you put them all on your website and no one buys it, or worse yet, you get bad feedback from people and they crush your spirit because you weren't ready to do that yet, and then now you've lost that spark. So I would, I would consider just, you know, getting really good first. Build up those ninja skills. Yeah. What, do you, what do you guys some- say? Enter some local competitions, maybe. Yeah. Um, although sometimes you have to be 18 and up, but um, even through his probably he's probably in high school. Through mm-hmm. his high school, through the camera club, or you know, just get involved in the in the school paper. Just show what you can do. Yep. And uh, if he wants to actually sell his work, Fine Art America is free, and um, he can he can actually put some of his best prints on Fine Art America and then link that to Facebook and people can actually purchase uh, from there. He doesn't have to take care of anything. It's They just send him whatever oh, profit he nice. makes. So Fine Art America? That's comp- Fine Art America, it's called. Um, so that's a good way for somebody this young you know, to get started. Excellent. Excellent. Cool. Doug, you have anything to add to that? Uh, just that uh, Valerie and Martin are exactly correct, but it's very hard to get Notice you can put up a smug mug site and put your gallery up there, but you'll never get any traffic to it unless you have some external activity like a podcast. But if he's in the U.S., one of the things that works really well is to um, somehow get your images into a county fair uh, because you'll, you'll have a way for people to actually, you know, see them. And it's, it's getting people to look at them. That is the obvious first step to getting them to buy them. Well, even, even the local coffee shop, you know, if he has, Mm -hmm. I mean, to only show his best work, first of all, to be really uh, picky as to what he's going to print and frame and put three or four of his best work at a local coffee shop. I mean, who would turn down a 14-year-old yeah. uh, <laughs> at, you know, or at a restaurant to get well, play, his work play out on there? The, play on the cute young kid, play that yeah. cute young kid card. Like, please, I think sir, that's awesome. can you post my photo? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, just right. to boost his confidence, and and uh, so he gets out there and maybe starts working on a three sixty five project or a fifty two photo per week project, yep. um, and improve his craft. But got to encourage him because he's really young. Get yeah. get your images where the eyeballs are. Yep, that's right. Yep. Sage advice. All right, guys, let's jump into the picks of the week. This is the segment where our guests can pick anything as long as it is somehow it is somehow related to photography. Doug K., what is your pick? I of changed the week? mine at the last minute because it was just announced. For those who are Google Plus fans, you may know that uh, last year uh, a book came out called the Plus One Collection, and it's just a beautiful, beautiful coffee table book, big enough for a, it's a big, big book. A great collection of some of the best stuff online on Google+. Well, they've just decided to publish a second edition, and I encourage every photographer to submit their work. Everybody can submit one image, and the judges are going to pick the, the, the best of them. So uh, the show notes will have a link where you can go and uh, uh, submit your stuff for publication. It's a great collection, and everybody should try and get in there. That is really cool. Yeah, I'm looking at the, the post for that right now. Of course, the post is on Google+. Plus. So. Of course. Cool. All right. Thanks, Doug. Valerie, what's your pick of the week? Um, a book again this week. Um, David Duchemin's latest book, The Print and the Process, Taking Compelling Photographs from Vision to Expression. Expression, sorry. And it's not a book about printing. Um, it's, um, it's a book... Um, 
it's it's a book that gives you really great insight into the creative proce process and exploring um, the ideas and the stories behind the photograph and all the way to the to post processing and uh, it's it's a great read once again um, I really enjoy David's yeah. books and uh, lots of great images he takes you on it basically an adventure to four different locations in the world um, Iceland Italy um, Africa I think and um, and he goes um, he tells the story behind every image and the thought process and how he it. composed it all the way to post-processing it's amazing I love it I love it so that's a yeah, I was if when you first when I first read that, I thought I was going to have to edit this segment of the show to take that out because we can't have a competing print book with Martin's. Martin's oh, well, it's not about print. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. It's published with uh, Peach Pit. Yes, yes. Peach Martin, how's your book doing, by the way? Oh, it's going doing great. Yeah, yeah. Good, it's good. um, it's hopefully going to be accompanied by another one uh, relatively soon. I've I've got the time to sit down and start writing again now, so wow. looking forward to that. And are you, I know we're on a tangent, but are you going to kick off the, the workshop series again in 2013? Um, I am. I've, uh, well, we've got two Hokkaido and Snow Monkey workshops in Jan, uh, from starting end of January through February. They're going, they're, they're all booked up. Mm -hmm. um, I've, I'm going to be in Africa in May. Um, and that's with a friend who I'm working with him on his, uh, his workshop over there. And then we've just set up a, an Iceland tour in um, the, what was it, starting on, I think it's the 25th of August until the, the 5th of September. Hmm. Uh, and that's with a local expert, Tim, Tim Volmer. Um, so I'm really looking forward to, because this year is basically going to be fulfilling my bucket list. Um, yeah. You know, when I had that nasty thing in my head a few years ago, yeah. the first thing that, that struck me was that I'd never been to Africa. And at the time, my bucket list was, was Antarctica. Africa and Iceland. Mm -hmm. I'd just come back from Antarctica, so that was done. But this year I'm going to be doing Africa and Iceland now. Wow. Um, and so I'm really looking forward to getting over there. Uh, there, are, there are details, just a quick plug, there are details on the Iceland tour on my workshops website at mvpworkshops.com if anyone's interested in coming along. Uh, it's about half full at the moment, so you know, there's still some, some spaces left. Or half empty, right? It's half empty. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. All right. And who's next? Oh, Martin. Oh, you're already talking, yeah. Martin. So what's your pick yeah, of the week? <laughs> I might as well. So, you know what? I've already, I've already talked about it a couple of times, but um, it's rare for me to, to um, recommend a product that I've not even played with yet, but I'm, I just can't resist putting the GoPro 3, the black edition, which is, uh, is basically the one that does 4K video. Um, all of the GoPros, uh, Hero 3s are, are great. Uh, but the the black edition is the one that I've gone for just to give myself the maximum future proofing, and it's I'm really looking forward to getting this. Uh, I've got myself a head thing, so I'm going to be sticking it on my head and doing all of the <laughs> the silly stuff. Uh, I've got a I've got a sucker cup, but like I say, I'm going to put it on the windows of the boats that we photographed the eagles from, and probably at the red crown cranes as well. So you hopefully you've got to look forward to some relatively cool video of of the the tours that we're doing this year as well. So. Uh, really looking forward to that GoPro 3 
heroes. You gave, you gave me an idea with the GoPro because I just uh, got one for my 14-year-old, and I'm thinking now I'm going to have to take him along on my workshop so he can actually uh, take video of, of me in oh, action yeah. for yeah. promotional purposes. Put that kid to work, Valerie. What do you think? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. 14, 14 years guy. of raising. It's time for him to start kicking back, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right, guys. All right, so my pick of the week is a new toy that I just got, and I know I'm going to get flack for talking about this, but I have to talk about it. I got my brand new oh. iPad Mini, and oh, you know what's cool? the cool thing about this thing is this case. This is a $14 case that I got off Amazon. It's the best case I've ever had on any device, um, and it's just for those who may be curious. It's from it's called Envelop. I N V E L L O P. But uh, it's like a leatherette case. But this thing, I mean, I have the larger Retina iPad, which I'm going to be selling <laughs> if you want to buy it. Um, but I'm going to be selling that because this thing is just the form factor of it. It, it. it just seems like it's the right size for this device. I've been doing so much more on this than I did with the big iPad because it's more, it's almost like a, like a laptop. But this one, I'm reading in the bed with it. I'm listening while I'm making breakfast. I got to, you know. It's in the garage while I'm working. It's just with me wherever I go. And it, it's just small enough to fit in the inside pocket of my, my jacket. <laughs> so it's like, you know, it's bulletproof protection. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. But it's, you know, I don't know. I, 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 thought, I thought it would be too small because I'm, because I'm coming from the larger one. But, uh, you know, I, I had to do it. I don't know. I'll, but anyway. I'll buy your iPad because I'm right. still on number one. So are you? Well, look, upgrade. Here it is, right here, with a nice case on it and everything Let's is ready to go. Nice. Um, talk. So that that baby needs to go away because I'm there's a new kid in town and his name is iPad Mini. So the other piece of my the other piece of my pick is the the YouTube app. Just the regular YouTube app for the iPad, which is installed on this, which I've been spending so much time in. I don't know what it is, but the the discovery and like, okay, I'm going to learn about, I'm going to watch these universe videos. Okay, now here's another one. Now here's this one. And they're just, they're so easy to find. And because of this form factor, I just feel like I'm consuming more on this. There's just so much content on there, not just, you know, stupid people, you know, doing tricks and face planting it's like real stuff that you can you can actually learn from so so definitely check that out the one-two punch of the ipad mini and the ios youtube app really have uh consumed a lot of my time especially over the holidays so that's my pick of the week so why would you need the new big new tv you have the ipad mini now it's funny it's <laughs> funny you should ask that though <laughs> because I have an Apple TV connected to my big TV. So when I'm in the living room watching YouTube videos, I just say, airplay this video to the big screen. And I'm watching on the big screen while I, you know, hang out in there. And then when I go someplace where there's no screen, I can use my little screen. So it all works out. It all works out. I'm in the, Perfect. I'm in the Apple ecosystem. And I think I'm a, I'm a, I'm a happy, uh, what do they call it? A happy hostage in the <laughs> <laughs> in the Apple ecosystem, also known as Fanboy, I guess. All right, uh, guys, we are at the end of another episode of This Week in Photo, the first episode of 2013, mm -hmm. and yeah. we brought Google Plus Hangouts on TWIP back. Look at that. And we made Hooray. it through the entire show. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't crash. Everything recorded, I think, knock on wood. 
and I didn't say anything <laughs> inflammatory. So a good show <laughs> so far. <laughs> so Doug, where can people go to uh, to keep up with you and and follow the images that you're posting and all that good stuff? Uh, you'll find the portfolio site at dougk.com, but the best place just to follow me is on Google Plus. All right, Google Plus, or in the look, uh, look the, for Doug K. As, as we said. Find the Doug K with the green background, not the red ground, not the red background. The red background is my evil twin. I was going to say that, Doug. You should just change that icon to say "Do not follow." I did that. I put a I put a red circle with a slash through it. The problem is that changed my email icon, so I couldn't oh. do that. People said, "What what happened to Doug?" You guys, you got the some social story. media, the some social media story. housekeeping to do, my yeah. friend. All right, and Valerie, what about you? Where can people go to keep up with you online? Um, Facebook, Valérie Jardin Photography, or, well, everything is linked, uh, on, from my website. So valeriejardinphotography.com, all in one word, and it's B-A-L-E-R-I-E-J-A-R-D-I-N, photography. Excellent. And Mr. Martin, Martin Bailey, where can people go to find out what you're up to? Uh, just martinbaileyphotography.com. Uh, everything's linked from there. Uh, but, uh, Google Plus as well, uh, Spending a lot of time there, so socially Google Plus, uh, but everything I'm into is linked from martinbaileyphotography.com. And I also thought it was really cool how Valerie looked a little bit like a rapper then when she said everything's on the. <laughs> she's got everything's on the. No, <laughs> it's, uh, MC, cool. MC Jardin. <laughs> <laughs> Some, something doesn't work there. I don't know what it is. No. I I just want to hear Valerie say her name over and over again because it sounds so good. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Get a room. All right. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you, guys. And, Thank and you. Lis- listeners, if you want to keep up with everything in the TWIP universe, you can check us out at thisweekinphoto.com or on our brand new TWIP Google Plus community page. Be sure to become a, uh, a member of that community. And that's it. That's the first show of 2013. And of course, it's time to take that lens cap off. Happy New Year. This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production. Produced by Suzanne Llewellyn. With technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.